0: probably all be checking in with someone every now and then after we, we imploded in the league last
1: year i
2: wasn't right for yeah. a long time keep up to date with the latest wsl action and the biggest interviews subscribe to the koi Gig podcast stream on the otb sports app now
1: otb
3: am with gillette get into your flow
0: with the new gillette Labs razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's Thursday. This interminable week is nearly over. You can get us uh, on the hashtag OTBAM. You can get us on 0879 180 180, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Tell us that you are somewhere sunny in the world. The best place we got was rainy London yesterday. And we got like, in the future, I will be in Montevideo, but not currently. So if you're, um, you know, if you're up late or coming home early in Melbourne or somewhere, then we'd love to hear from you.
4: Got a great DM yesterday from uh, at Peter Hamrock who says Jer was saying where are people tuned in listening to you in the morning. I tune in every day from Sisimut, Greenland. Uh, I've to listen in the evening on Spotify, but it's great to keep up with everything every day. Also a huge fan of the Crappy Quiz. So Greenland. I don't think we've had a. a and he sent in a picture as well, which uh, is not looking sunny. In, well, I guess it is kind of looking sunny, but it's very snowy in Greenland, as you can it's imagine. Still
0: sunny, right, still snowy, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. It's a uh, it's a pretty lovely vista, actually. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, cool country. The
0: frozen tundra of Greenland is uh, where, well, uh, that was where um, David Auburn, or somewhere up there anyway, generally it was Iceland, that caused him to create such wonderful music.
4: This is uh, a bit of background there. Jerry went to see David Auburn a couple of weeks ago and uh, thought he was going to get the hits, but actually he just got sounds from the Nordic. Sounds from an interior monologue from uh, somebody who's spent a lot of time
0: on the couch smoking dope. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> The type of stuff that you would have made in your bedroom as a 19-year-old when you discovered, like, how to make music on the Amiga. Would go again? Uh, well, I'd go and see gorillas who are coming back, turns yeah. out. I mean, that would, that would be... And maybe I would know better the next time. It was It's actually my fault. But anyway, uh, the Frozen Tundra is where they're going to kick Frank Lampard after this, right? It's like... I, I So I only, like, flick through Sky, have the, the red button where they show you all the chances and um it, it definitely seemed like it was a seesaw roller coaster game in terms of the chances but Richarlison looks amazing like yeah. he's getting a good move he's like realised five weeks of good football right now is going to catapult me to Manchester United or meh, couldn't go to Liverpool could he go to Liverpool wouldn't he, wouldn't he be perfect in that team it's just an extra one so instead of having like they can get rid of one of those you know maybe maybe Roberto Firmino your time is up we're going to mm. cash in on you
4: Possibly, he's definitely good enough to play mid-table Premier League football. At least, obviously, Nathan's thing over the last couple of years has been best player outside the top four. I think he's come back to the pack a good bit over the last season and a half. Still an excellent player, but what's interesting is that our player is now fighting to get that move away from Everton in the summer, or fighting to not get a deduction in their wages. Probably a bit of both. Oh but yeah. But it did seem when like they went one 0 down last night, it was like, right, you might even get more money if you if you get a move. Well, possibly, uh, and, and you'll easily get a move if you go down. But when they went 1-0 down last night, it kind of felt as if they'd all came to that realisation that they were all fighting for a good pay packet next year. And they do end up taking the lead and it's like, okay, everything's fine. But it turns out they're in a really bad place confidence-wise and that's what happens. They
0: They had a a lot of chances. He picked a strange team. There was a few kids in the team Mm -hmm. and no shame with Coleman. Doesn't use all his subs. I don't know, Frank Lampard looks like he's floundering a little bit.
4: Yeah, it's kind of a little bit... So Burnley beat
0: Manchester United three Everton three two yesterday. In case you're all wondering what we're talking about, and it was an 85th minute winner. Yeah, and there was a 92nd minute chance for Everton to equalise,
4: which just
5: agonisingly goes wide.
4: A little part of joy has always been part of Frank Lampard and the way he speaks. Like, everybody takes the piss out of it. It's, the, you know, the ha-ha, no-but-seriously elements to his post-match interviews. That's now gone. It's now just no-but-seriously. All, serious. all the time. <laughs> it's all seriously. And there was not even a single sort of ha-ha at all in his post post-match interview with Sky Sports yesterday like beforehand he was saying on Tuesday I'm really excited I love being involved in the competitive games I'm calm and I'm excited was his press conference on Tuesday last night it was not that it was blaming the individual mistakes a little bit of an allusion to the Regime before him some of the errors that were popping up before he got there were still there but at the same time he did look like somebody who, who wasn't overly pressurised by the scenario he was just down on himself last night and he said if the players don't realise they're in a battle they realise it now I
0: mean that's that's
4: like I, do you
0: remember his time at Chelsea it was always individual errors it was never a systemic issue it was never anything that they'd worked on the training ground it was never it's my fault It was always oh that's individual errors are costing us, and
4: then Tuchel came in and there were no more individual errors. You can do both, as Tuchel pointed out last night. You can uh, you can pretty much uh, take responsibility yourself and eviscerate your players, which is what Tuchel did in his press conference yesterday. But it's Everton's fixtures list as much as the performance last night, which gives people, massive cause for concern. It's Manchester United, then Leicester, then Liverpool, then Chelsea, then Leicester again. And then they play Watford-Brentford Palace before Arsenal on the final day of the season. So it's an extremely difficult fixtures run. The only thing you could say is that arguably their best performance under the Lampard so far was in the game against Manchester City, which they probably should have drawn if there wasn't a ridiculous penalty shout given to Manchester City. Yeah, uh, I, they're not completely gone
0: and it's not like they... They folded completely, they played some okay football in patches, they created chances and it'll be very interesting to see uh, if they can dig it out from here. I, I mean, it would be a great, great story if everyone were to go down, given everything that's happened uh, at the club over the last period of time. It's almost like you can't just willy-nilly have an approach to something and think it's all going to be fine. Um, the amount of money that they've spent for them to go down would be ridiculous and for, for Burnley to even be capable of pulling it out at this stage is
4: remarkable. It would be. I'm also oh, it's it's not gonna happen. But I'm also kinda of like looking at Watford this morning. Look, looking at the did you see the 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 little slide rule pass by Roy Hodgson on the training ground over no. the last couple of days? Just a silky footballer. Still got it. Uh, And and you're looking at that. You're looking at their fixtures list. They've got Leeds and Brentford next up. They also have to play Burnley and Everton. Like Watford still have the keys in their hand. Now they do have to to play Manchester City and they have to play Chelsea in the last year of the season. So it's a very mixed uh, fixture list for them. But in in that part of the table, the winnable fixtures are against teams around them. So it, it is not ridiculous to think that they could also have a say in this. But I do think Burnley and... Sean Dyche is the man you're backing over Frank Lampard and Hodgson every day of the week and I think we've done this a couple of times in the show where we've just looked at the managers in that section of the table and when Everton appointed Frank Lampard you always thought that could be the thing that that does suck them into that relegation battle and eventually get them relegated just at the the standard of guy that they have standing on the sideline If he brings them down does he get to try and bring them up or is that the door? I'd I'd say it's a door isn't it? I'm not sure Not sure. Like we'd be chatting to Phil about this later on, or chatting to him in the office. And I think he's of the opinion that he wouldn't be surprised if Frank Lampard didn't see the season out. That if it's crisis mode, they push the Duncan Ferguson button again. No, you can't push Duncan Ferguson now. (laughs) No, no,
0: you need somebody else.
4: You'd need like a you'd need a specialist. Like the thing is, the specialist who would avoid relegation feels like the same sort of specialist who would navigate a tricky championship next season. Yeah. So, uh, and that guy's not Frank Lampard in either of those situations. It feels. It's
0: very difficult to know how good a manager Frank Lampard is because he doesn't look very good at the moment at all.
4: Yes, there's like, we are guessing. Of course, there
0: is but. no evidence apart from that one period where the team did qualify for the Champions League, and um, you know we need to go back. I, I would I would need to go back and see how the other teams collapsed around him for for them to get in at that stage. But like if you if you sack him now, which it's, it's strong possibility that happens, right? Like if you, you would have to think about it if you were. Involved in the club, who could you bring in? You're not bringing Big Sam in, like that. But that's what you're talking about. It's, it's that sort of. Well, sorry, you, Realm. You, I mean, if you, if you are bringing Big Sam in you're explicitly stating at the, the, the final whistle in the final game of the season, you you get the you get out the door. There will be a wheelbarrow <laughs> of cash in your car, and you never come back. Uh, we, like it, we we will never look at each other in the morning. We will we will delete each other's phone numbers. We, you know,
4: it's fine, we will enjoy our time together, but then when the time is over, there will not be no communication. How many games did he did he get us at Everton last time? I'm just looking at it up up here. 26 games, a 38% winning record. Could a 38% winning record be good enough for him uh, to, to get Everton out of the situation? I'm not so sure, but uh, it, feel, it feels that every person that's uh, Everton are linked to it, it's just kind of this this sense of, of horror, like whether it's Rafa... Uh, who eventually did get appointed or, or potentially a uh, big Sam because you know that if Lampard is close to the exit door he will be in the frames uh, to be appointed like I mean Everton fans are so paranoid about would-be managers that they sacked a guy that they never even appointed a few months ago when Vita Pereira's name was on graffiti outside Goodison Park <laughs> Pereira out did they, was Lampard in on yeah, that Yeah I, so, I think so yeah. yeah
0: well they got their wish yeah. always listen to the fans because they know best eh?
4: Yeah, like yeah, Pereira out, Lampard in was actually the piece of graffiti.
0: (laughs) What do the Everton fans think? What what do they think is going to happen, and what do they want to happen? I mean, do you have to give Frank Lampard a few more weeks? Like, do you or do you absolutely not have to give him a few more weeks? Would James Coleman
4: be a better manager for Everton for the rest of the season (laughs) than Frank Lampard? The question. Well, I mean, what's what's the net win here? I think John Joe Kenny was in it right back yesterday. Didn't necessarily stop them from falling to. Uh, and another embarrassing defeat. Coleman couldn't get scapegoated last night, which is definitely the positive from an Irish perspective. Uh, would would he, as manager, be better than John Joe Kenny as right back? I would say some Everton fans would say yes. I think that they've been bashing Coleman for the last little while. I wonder who he'd pick, at right back? Would pick himself or would he pick John Joe Kenny? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. He would probably pick Kenny to be honest. Go, go. You can't do player manager at this stage. You can.
0: Um, Why not? Why
4: not? Twice, yeah, exactly. Everything, everything is on the table right now for for everything. Like it's who, who even is in the who's in the big Sam category these days? Like I don't it know. feels like we've moved beyond that.
0: Well, uh, Roy Hodgson has already pressed the, yeah. the panic button for that.
4: Would Nuno? Would Nuno save them? Ooh, I'm not sure about that. Like it, it does feel as if we've moved towards kind of like a, a quite hipster appointments in around that area. Like not that Leeds would ever have gone for a big Sam or anything like that but he wasn't in the conversation for that job when it came up the last time a relegation threatened team no had a no agency. no his, his, his moment has passed but yeah. like I mean you know
0: could you could you break him out or could you could you break Harry Redknapp out Harry like what? so what? what's what's worse here
4: <laughs> yeah like it would be funny if if Lampard got sacked and uh, his uncle got brought in and uh, that was it sorry mate we're we're keeping it in the family but it's just, you're just well, the wrong that's guy better the money goes to one of us isn't it yeah <laughs> Isn't it? And it's it's a two and a half year deal as well that Lampard was on, so
0: it's oh, a fair. I presume the, that there is use. a break clause where you take the team down. It's again, we never speak of this again.
4: Like, I, I wonder did did they even consider the the relegation consequences if if they appointed Frank Lampard? Because like it felt like again, just go back to, to the Leeds example. Like, I'm not sure if this is the truth, but it does feel that if if Jesse Marsh had taken Leeds down and they they had gone to Championship next season, that would have been a manager that they would have had a plan around and I, like I accepted there's like a harshness around Lampard an extra harshness because of the player that he was and maybe the the, the personality that he is a little bit that he's, he is uber confident but uh, that does lead to maybe just kind of uh, he had uh, cynicism amazing, around him he
0: had an amazing life and decided to get back into football as a manager because there's a competitive urge he has to scratch itch he has to scratch mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know people sometimes should just ignore the go and play a lot more golf take up darts do something You know, it shouldn't be that hard to take up. But anyway, uh, like, he he could have just sat in a TV studio and had the crack. He could have sold monkey NFTs. (laughs) Like, whatever.
4: Like his buddy John Terry. John Terry did a smart thing going in behind the scenes. You 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 can scratch that itch do you, have, do you have to be the, the front man with your hands in the pocket to fight that itch? Or can you be sitting down in the dugout, running out whenever your, your team scores a big goal? Do you have to be the number one?
0: Yeah, you don't, because like life has dealt you a genetic lottery ticket that has come up with six numbers and you are minted for life. Mm. Like It's almost impossible for you to go broke, because you're that rich. Now, a lot of the footballers did their best to go broke with, um, you know... Bad investments and illegal tax things around um, movies. Uh, but look, you know, uh, I don't think Lampard wasn't one of those. He, he by all accounts, he was uh, smart from the get-go. Why does he need this? Why does he need to now be reviled? Why does he need to break the relationship that he had with the Chelsea fans?
4: I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's it's what you just said. It's that competitive itch. It's that the, the feeling of actually being part of something. That is a winning thing, and like that doesn't necessarily like not getting relegated now for Everton. This is Michael Jordan be, bullshit, right? It, like, how do you mean like the baseball stuff?
0: Well, no, I, no, just I, I have to be the most competitive at everything I ever do. Like, by all accounts, Michael Jordan's a bad gambler, but yeah. he feels the need to win. Yeah,
4: it is like I guess it's definitely a part of that that comes with the ex-player going into management, but. There's no question that, like all the, 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 the all the managers have played football at some level, bar, bar a few notable exceptions. Like it, it's not necessarily granted that just because you've been an excellent footballer, you will be a bad manager. I accept that the correlation is actually probably the opposite in, in a lot of cases. But like I, I, he he obviously just wanted to do this thing, and I think the, it, the the early signs are that it's probably not going to work out. But Everything is also a basket case, and that is—they've proven that time and time again. Rafa uh, Benitez is not a bad manager.
0: No, no, but also the signing of Deli Alli was one of the stupidest things that anybody's ever done in the Premier League. It was absolutely ludicrous.
4: And you can't blame Lampard for that. We well, Why not? Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, there's definitely conversations happening above his head, and no, like,
0: I just say no. Yeah. Just no,
4: saying. no, no. You're you're spending actual money
0: on this. now It looks like they'll never... The the trigger to spend all the rest of the money is never going to happen, is it? But he'll have to to pay his wages. Oh my God, that was one of the stupidest. And this isn't after timing, by the way. We said it at the time. So it's 7.45 this morning. We haven't even talked about Ten Hag. Gonna bag Hag is the headline. Uh, Manchester United are closing in on the appointment of Eric Ten Hag. Are we going to call him Hag? Or is it not Ten Hag?
4: It's Ten Hag.
0: Yeah, but gonna bag Hag. It's like... That's the son They're there. they're sub editors working overtime. Uh, so he is he's the man. They've decided he's the guy that they want, and they're going to get him. Um, this is interesting, I suppose, because he's come with a very specific style of play that he wants, and it's obviously quite flexible. But it's the Ajax style. It's the Johan Cruyff imprint, which obviously worked particularly well at Barcelona and has worked at Ajax to a, a certain extent. It has been very successful locally, reached the Champions League. Semi final, unfortunate not to go through. Right, right appointments. A, a better
4: long term appointment than Pochettino. What do you think? I, I, I have no idea. That's the truth. It's very, very hard to tell. It's definitely. Uh, it seems like a better move than say appointing Solshare would have been. It definitely feels again with the benefit of hindsight here a little bit a better appointment than, than Jose Mourinho uh, even at the time you, you wouldn't be 100% sure of that one like I wonder are Ajax is going to take out a full page ad uh, in the Amsterdam press or it was, sorry it was Manchester Evening News and say thank you Eric ten Hag, for everything that you did uh, and then that'll be just the, the start of the downfall because that seemed to be a bad curse for Donny van de Beek when he joined so, Does he just bring Donny van de Beek back and turn him into a footballer again and it's like uh, you get two for the price of one is that part of their thinking here? I, I'd be very surprised if getting the, the best out of Donny van de Beek was, was part of it I think they're really well Manchester United have shown problems in being able to, to be willing to cut their losses over the last little while but I'm I'm not sure like I think Ten Hag says to me that Manchester United are willing to take a bit more of a long-term approach But that doesn't seem to be in keeping with anything Manchester United have done over the last little while. The signing of Cristiano Ronaldo flies entirely in the face of a club that have a long-term approach. It says to me, though, that if Ten Hag is coming in, you can say good luck to Ronaldo, you can say good luck to Pogba. You can say that trust in the the, the youngsters who, who are hungry, which, who was saying that again? Wayne Rooney. Uh, they, <laughs> wow, it's been, it has been a long week. It has. Uh, that, that was way, only Monday night. That was only. That was only three days. Today's up. only Thursday morning. It's not even Thursday evening yet. So that that Wayne Rooney idea of like rewarding players who were young and hungry, like Ten Hag would be the exact sort of manager that would do that. But it is still guesswork because we thought we knew what. Uh, other managers were going to do with, with different clubs, and we thought that Manchester United were on the, the right track over the last little while. It looks like a, a decent move, but the question for me is: Was was he their number one choice, or was Pochettino the number one choice? I'd
6: say they got the number one choice.
4: No, it feels that way. Like Pochettino
0: has made it known he would like to work again in the Premier League. I was thinking, you know, are there other Premier League teams who are looking at Pochettino? Going, yeah, okay. I mean, I suspect Newcastle could be interested in
4: upgrading this summer.
0: Could Villa be interested in upgrading any get team instead the TVG? I don't know. Um, are, yeah. there, are there teams along there?
4: Poch to Newcastle looks like a pretty that, that's a good shout I think that could be something that could happen down the line and he'd have the experience of working with mega rich owners but maybe he hates his life after working with mega rich owners and the array of talent but maybe Newcastle will do things differently maybe there, there won't be the maybe the football manager hated having access to the world's best players and loads of money yeah yeah it does sound a bit stupid actually when you put it that way <laughs> <laughs> uh, a dressing room full of divas is, is probably what I was trying to say yeah okay um yeah I'd, like it, it's only tired like anybody who's who's going to make a, a defined prediction on how Manchester United are going to fare over the next year oh we is present is a is in, sports breakfast show every morning that's your job <laughs> literally you've got one job is to like uh, I've, I've, tried, I've tried and I failed at Manchester United too many times for me to well, back down the, the, the divas in the dressing room have, have how's your boy Timo me. Werner getting on yeah I'm still going to cling to that like, Timo Werner will come good someday he'll definitely like score a goal
0: Uh, At 7.48 this morning, OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. The thing is that it looks like it's uh, 10 hags. That that kind of story broke yesterday morning-ish and now everybody has stacked it up. So whether or not they're all taking the original story and uh, reporting on it or it's just a copy and paste job, we'll wait and see. But certainly that is the mood music at the moment. Stranger Things Have Happened in Football, The Deal Hasn't Been Done. Uh, If you're a Man United fan, are you happy? Are you uh, a little bit suspected that this might not work out? Uh, tell us your thoughts this morning power rankings Hurling 7.45 Will this morning Queenie's going to talk to us at uh, 10 past 8 we might talk some stuff other than Munster but we might not we're promising nothing the Masters at 8.25 Um, everybody is ready for this now Uh, Sports Pages at 8.40 We've got a report on Ardoyne or the Ardoyne, as it used to be known in news reports. Heather Payne, uh, ten past nine. Phil Egan at nine fifteen, and some Simon Cooper goodness after the Champions League last night at half past nine. A reminder: OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Nineteen degrees, but
4: overcast in Geelong, lads. Says Shay. That seems cool. Uh, what I would have assumed it was always hot. What season is it there? That just coming off, just coming off peak, isn't
0: it? It's, it's autumn or fall as it gets referred to uh, repeatedly by Seamus Power in today's film I'm like come on you can't be doing that now
4: Ah but he's he's entrenched in the, the US lingo at this I point No, we but you're still from Waterford
0: Yeah If you went back now and were like talking to John Milan and uh, Ken McGrath and a couple of the
4: lads and you were like oh, I was over there in fall they'd be like they would be breaking their holes laughing at you Seamus Power has to go I lose me county if he wins the Masters there's oh. no other possible outcome here that would be acceptable uh, I seen the gorillas Malhide a few years ago. Very underwhelming, says John. Agreed. I was there. Oh yeah, yeah. It was Shite. wasn't great. Was it? I'd love to see him indoors, potentially. Oh, or this is the three arena, I think, is it? Yeah, I think so. But or else just at a at a dark outside thing. It felt very bright. It was a bit of the summer, so uh, that tends to happen. Yeah. So you need you
0: need darkness. I think so. I and think you need so. to be in the same state that um, he was in when he was playing a couple of weeks ago.
4: Possibly, but yeah, no, I, I'd agree with John on that one. Uh,
0: Dennis wants to know, is Coleman's cousin or agent first United should sign him, now he should replace Lampard? My point about United signing him was very clear. They needed characters in the dressing room who weren't absolute. You, you can fill in the rest of that and it turns out they didn't have enough of those. They didn't have enough people who were actually uh, uh,
4: brave or... Uh, who had moral courage is the phrase that I was looking for there it's worth reiterating that uh, Seamus Coleman's cousin is Desi Farrell like I mean it's not like it, that is a fact that is worth repeating repeatedly because I keep forgetting about it
0: uh, Dahi says Marcello Bielsa to the Toffees rescue it's just uh, I mean it wouldn't work would it it would be glorious that would be going down swinging well like but they'd also be coming up swinging but
4: that's the
1: thing The oh, else has got sorry got if r- you're r- doing form. the deal
0: if you're doing the deal to say you're our, you're our guy now for the next one that would be
4: amazing yeah I like a, that That makes um, midterm sense for sure like he would need you'd probably need maybe a couple of windows and a couple of pre-seasons to get this team in shape but that would be a lot of fun uh, Real Madrid beat Chelsea
0: 3-1 last night we'll talk about that in a little while but it is time for the Hurling Power Rankings of these critics, these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable
7: time for them But they're a great bunch But it's not acceptable I like to play the hard man When, when they're on it It's not very pleasant When you're trying to manage a team All you're looking for is A bit of civility And a bit of decency But they just dismiss you Like, like you, you know You have nothing to do With the bloody occasion
0: oh, Hang on A late uh, a late weather report uh, It's not sunny Melbourne Unfortunately It's out the window From Johnny Kennedy Of the Long Hall Pub In New York Who's in Augusta and it's absolutely pissing It's horrific weather Oh, you can hear it there,
4: sorry, the sound is up <laughs> I I, I, saw, I saw that there was like a... Good morning, Johnny So he's obviously in Georgia Yeah So there was like a tornado rip through part of Georgia the other day on Tuesday It looked absolutely terrifying
0: The reports earlier in the week, as Nathan told us, noted meteorologist Nathan Murphy It'll be grand for Thursday, doesn't look like it's going to be grand, so... Uh, we'll see, maybe it'll be a later than expected start Will, good morning to you from sunny Offley.
5: Yeah, it actually is lovely here um, The signs up for Shane Lowry You talk about Seamus Power and loving his county and so on um, Shane Lowry posters up all across the town in Tullamore And in some of the pubs as well uh, Hoping that maybe the rain might help him to have a good finish this Sunday That's class, they just put posters up and go, yeah, go on we Pretty much uh, I think a lot of them Were kind of put up By the Chamber of Commerce Back around the Open Understandably And then for the Ryder Cup And seems the same Printers have got the job For his latest run To Augusta This time around as well So yeah There's a bit of a Kind of a party atmosphere Around Larry this week And his old club Esker Hills Are having their Kind of annual Augusta fundraiser At this stage I think that starts Later on today um, Ahead of the coverage Starting on the TV So yeah There's a real Kind of buzz of excitement About Larry this week
0: Alright well Fingers crossed He can do something uh, Right To um let's get to this Will. how's it going how how have the debates been on the podcast about the power rankings in in recent weeks
5: yeah it's like there's a very different approach with the two guys so paul murphy is very reasonable and conservative and he's taken Championship potential into account when he's looking at where he's going to rank his teams. And James Scale has been happy enough to just hot take off the end of every round of the league and just say, Right, Wexford got beaten by 19, let's put them down to 7th, and let's put Waterford right up on top. And where are we going to put in Limerick? So it's been lively debates between the two. We'll be doing our big bumper championship preview this weekend, which will be out around 7 o'clock on Monday to listen to, and you can watch the video next Tuesday. But I'm intrigued to see where the guys think the teams are at because now we're looking at a championship which has rolled around a lot quicker, Jared unusual off the back of the league so I feel like we've got a really good feeling about league form going into the championship but some huge fixtures on the first two weekends of the championship Galway against Wexford particularly uh, Waterford's going up against Tipperary which is a huge game for tip if they're going to have a chance to come out of Munster because it's very difficult at this stage to call the three teams coming out of Munster particularly but I think as we'll get into the rankings here Leinster is going to be incredibly difficult to call for the three qualifiers as well
0: Yeah I do wonder if it's going to be a completely different championship because the weather and the top of the ground and all that kind of stuff like there's a possibility it's bad weather all the way from now until the end of the hurling season and that will just mean that some teams won't have the advantage that they do have when the weather is that broiling sunshine that we saw for a large portion of last year's championship
5: Yeah, perhaps. I mean, the split season has brought this along where we're now getting used to the second week of July being the end of the Championship as opposed to really when the Hurling Championship gets going with quarterfinals and semi-finals. So everyone's going to have to adjust. A lot of teams are going to be out of action even by the end of May when the group stages come to an end in the round-robin section in both Munster and Leinster. So it's intriguing to see who's going to come out. Maybe I'll just jump into where we are towards the bottom of the table then because we haven't had an update for a couple of weeks because I was off. But the dust has settled now at the end of the league. So I think we can be more conclusive. About the places so in 24th place we've got Mayo who are relegated to Division 3 for next season very disappointing campaign for them no wins at all and Tyrone will replace them in 2023 in Division 2B Wicklow very disappointing campaign they stayed up just ahead of Mayo in the relegation final uh, but there was a lot more expected of Wicklow in Division 2B this season there in 23rd Unchanged are London in 22nd thought they were going to be in real relegation trouble when they were hammered by Donegal in the first round it was 316 to 8 points Uh, but London rallied with some good results at the end of 2B they just missed out on the semi-finals, but were safe of relegation, so they say 22nd. Donegal, one of our big jumpers, I think they started the season in 24th, they're going to finish it in 21st, winning four of their five games in the regular section of Division 2B. The only defeats that they had, they lost to the eventual champions, Derry, and they were one-point defeat to Sligo in the semi-finals. but a really positive start to the year for Donegal. Sligo, who got to the final in 2B and beat Donegal by a point in the semi, they're up to 20th place. Player to keep an eye out throughout the summer, Gerard O'Kelly Lynch, he scored four goals in 35, Five points across five games in the league which is remarkable scoring uh, from the Sligo Chiefs scorer there. Meath come down to 19th place. They were relegated to Division 2B. You'll remember they started with that win against Kildare which looked like it was going to be a good starting point to stay in Division 2A for next season. Went on to lose their next four games and they were relegated. 18th place are Derry who are on change. They're the winners of Division 2B. Beat Sligo in the final last weekend. 123-215 to 215, uh, building very nicely on their run to the Christie Ring Cup final from last summer and they're up into the 18th place Uh, they're unchanged from our last rankings but have jumped up as the season's gone on Kildare jump up after staying up in Division 2A Uh, they got a win against Down who got to the final they had a draw at the end of the campaign as well which saw them avoid relegation following a loss to their neighbours Meath in the opening round so Kildare did well to stay in Division 2A one of the real disappointments sorry hang on
0: you should all follow Dermot Ling on uh, Instagram he took the Kildare Hurlers up to the Hill of Allen and um, they went foraging and camping and cooked a, a raw deer and sang songs and swam in the sea so I'm telling you big things are coming for the Kildare Hurlers this year
5: Interesting Not just the Nace players Coming back in But this retreat May well have been the reason For their upturn in form uh, Towards the end of the campaign But yeah They stay in Division 2A For next year Uh, Moving on to Our 16th to 9th Then 16th place One of the real disappointments Lads of this year Carlo uh, Heading into now A third consecutive year In Division 2A For 2023 Uh, When they got relegated In 2020 The feeling was That their stay In the second division Might be a short one Um, Again They were in second Second place Sorry go on on. Some of the fallers Are worse than the others
4: Yeah you've got some in pink
5: <laughs> oh really uh, That might well be Just the wrong colour Saved in Photoshop But uh, yeah Car-
8: Car-
4: Car- I was like oh
5: <laughs> Off an him Car-
0: You've decided Something special about this
5: yeah, uh, Carlo should just be red In their uh, falls and down uh, They were second in 2021 So that was the year That there was a straight promotion Where Offley finished top And there was no league final uh, They would have been hopeful Of getting to the league final this year Finished up in fourth place And uh, missed out in a place in the final So um, that draw against Galway Three years ago Feels a long time ago now For Carlo uh, Carry her down We as don't
0: well. have to do all of these well You're grand
5: <laughs> let's, keep, right. let's keep going we go to the top They were the Macdonald Cup finalists uh, From last year They would have been hoping To reach the Division 2A final Give us Very a word on Offley What do you think of Offley? i <sighs> All right, but Offley were relegated, obviously. They lost the one game that mattered. They wouldn't have been expected to win any of the games in Division 1A, but they would have been expected to put up a much better performance against Antrim in the relegation playoff. And real problems, Ushin Kelly's still not back from injury. They've got no primary possession winner in the forward line without Ushin Kelly. Teams have run through the middle, and that's what Antrim did in the relegation playoff. So it looks very difficult for them to overtake Antrim in the McDonough Cup. Those two teams meet in the first round of the McDonough with Antrim at home. Okay. And I think it's going to be difficult for Offley to reach the final. Okay. So I see Claire in nine. Let's look at the f- the uh, the rest of it in in its
0: totality so we can ooh Tipperary are eight the eighth best team in the country Dubliner seven Galway six Kilkenny five Wexford four Limerick three Cork two
4: all <laughs> oh, right Waterford number one I think um, okay where you you, you sorry explain to uh, explain to us what what are the changes here exactly where have Waterford gone from up to to one
5: so Waterford in the last rankings which we did middle of last month I think were in second place And they've gone up now to first They've overtaken Cork Understandably after the way they played in the league final I think Waterford at this stage lads look like They are very realistic championship contenders to Limerick I would say Limerick as the favourites going into the championship But you cannot ignore what Waterford have achieved during this league Like they're averaging 30 scores a game They scored again four goals in the league final last weekend They're just sheer lethalness and single-mindedness to go for goal is remarkable. So 15 shots they've had on goal over the last three games, they've scored 10 goals. So all of them were really, really well taken last weekend. They were boosted by the fact that Stephen Bennett came back in, scored two goals and 11 points. They've got Jamie Barron back in training. They look the best conditioned team in the country right now and also the team who've got the best options across their panel, which is something that Limerick maybe don't quite have if we're looking at the attrition of around Robin and the amount of games that will be played in a 40-day period over the next while. So if you're a Waterford fan you're really happy and when I was talking to Michael Ryan the former Waterford boss at the weekend I said how do they kind of keep an edge on this now because there is going to be expectation that Waterford are going to do well he said the key is Liam Kahl he thinks Liam Kahl is now the best manager in the country and he says there's no chance that Liam Kahl will allow Waterford for the players at least to lose the run themselves after what's happened this year I think
0: John Kiley is still the best manager in the country at the moment I mean obviously Brian Cody was and maybe Brian Cody's doing an even better job than everybody to
4: get them to where they are but like I, you, you, there's every chance you're right but like have you not just made a point on this show a couple of weeks ago that it's impossible to know how good the great managers are like how great was Jim Gavin how great was Brian Cody yes there's no question that they were great but the level of their greatness is hard to quantify like how do we know that Liam Cahill actually just isn't the best manager in the country
5: Oh yeah, look, this is me giving Michael Ryan's opinion Listen, I actually think that Michael Ryan Or sorry, um, Liam Cal has to want to win All-Ireland To be considered ahead of Kylie in any way Look, look at everything that Kylie's won over the last four years Where Limerick have been almost perfect It's not just been the three All-Ireland titles that they've collected They've also competed With the exception of this year and the COVID year of last year Exceptionally well in the league They've run off Munster Championships We saw the best comeback win in recent years Against Tipperary last year when they were really up against it what defeat have they had Outside of that One semi-final against canny work really rattle them that That's t- remarkable consistency
0: That tip mm-hmm. game needs A 30 for 30 Yeah Like yeah. I, I think we just kind of We kind of glossed over it It was a massive bomb Going off Yeah like, Tip,
4: or, tip, or Ray, tip or have never been the same No And like Even the like uh, uh, The characters on both sides Like the The, the sheedy roar At half time Yeah uh, that That's like a The empty stadium
0: The nearly empty stadium But like still Enough people for you to go What's oh, going on here And the red card that wasn't
5: Like yeah. A uh, big, big moment. Big, big moment. Kyle Hayes' goal, which is one of the best goals we've ever seen in Championship as well. It's just a remarkable. Game. Yeah. Well, like like this,
4: obviously, is, is interesting. Like if we'd gone back, maybe eighteen months. And Waterford had put up this sort of league, we'd be like, okay, that's Limerick's kryptonite right there. Goals. Goals goals would beat Limerick. It does feel that after last year, though, Limerick had got to a level where it was like, it doesn't matter. Limerick can now add a goal to their game. You mentioned the Kyle Hayes goal and the goals that he scored last year. That seems to have been something that they worked on last year. So are they, are they actually just ahead of the curve here completely? And no matter what Waterford can do in terms of getting green flags, it actually just won't matter if Limerick hit, hit that level again.
5: Well, the kryptonite's an interesting point because Limerick supporters will be the first one who will. Be listening or watching to us this morning, and we'll say, "Look, the last few times that Limerick have met Waterford in meaningful games, Limerick have come out on top." Yeah. And we didn't get to see them play each other in the league this year, so that makes that game in the second round of the Munster Championship all the more intriguing. That where is you're it? Looking at a Limerick, a Limerick team, lads, who've had three or four weeks now to get everything right after the league finished. I think of all the teams who would have wanted to play in the knockout stages, it didn't really matter to Limerick because of the bank of work that they have over the last four years and the amount of winning that they've had. I'm sure that they have been able to just fine tune the little bits and pieces that they. Need to get right For championship And if they can keep their Like we talked about Their flaws in the last Few updates on the Power rankings But if they keep 15 men on the field They still have got Probably three of the best Five players in the Country right now They've got the best Starting 15 the only real doubt you'd have maybe Peter Casey's injury takes a bit away from their forward line but with the one hand that takes away the other hand give it and like Colin Neal has been brilliant for them during the league Yeah, he looks like a real find and could be a championship starter played really well for the Limerick 20s uh, last night in their win against Clare so um, I think Limerick are not too far off where they were going into last year and they'll be very quick to point out they started the league very slowly in 2021 middle of the summer they were the best team
0: the um, 23rd of April that's a Saturday evening 7 o'clock in the Gaelic grounds that game so yeah. I hope Hopefully that's a complete sellout uh, Damien says It's 27 degrees and sunny in Brisbane That sounds about right That's what we're talking about uh, Rory says Good morning guys From sunny Madrid A little bit of hyper atmosphere here After last night's performance Tori says Listening from sunny Zurich Looking out onto Zurich Lake It's a mood booster It makes listening to ye complain
4: A little easier Beautiful spot <laughs> Is it? Yeah Absolutely amazing The FIFA Museum Just around the corner of course But 27 quid a pint Yeah Worth every penny Uh
0: Brian says Which county has the best Combined football And, har- uh, football and hurling power ranking Ordinarily It would have been Just one answer It would have been Cork But it's probably Dublin now Is it?
5: Galway. it.
4: Where Galway Where are Dublin are ahead of Galway In your rankings Where are the Dubs Can we stick that yeah. stick that back up? Got, oh yeah No Dubs it's Dubs
5: It's the 7th It is the Dubs
4: But and you have to move up 4th or 5th though? Yeah 4th So So Very
0: briefly you, you. I think it's clear From your list It's Cork
5: coming out alongside Waterford and Limerick should be based on what we've seen so far but like loads of doubts about Cork lads based on the way that they've defended uh, particularly against Waterford last weekend where they left the door open so often for Waterford to run through them I kind of agree with Owen Cadigan's assessment and he's just out of the Cork panel so he knows them far more intimately than I do that he thinks there might be too many stickmen in the Cork defence and not enough defenders who are there to actually stop players coming through Cork will play really nice hurling they will come out with the ball these are all the things that we've praised throughout the league they've got so much firepower up front but last week you'd have to really question the lack of intensity in the second half at Temple Stadium and also the way that they defended similarly Wexford who've been really good and actually had the best you know, defence in the regular section of the league were exposed by Waterford and left wide open in that game in Nolan Park when they were routed so there are big question marks when you're only a few weeks away from Championship but you don't quickly solve them
0: Yeah I just i am not writing them off on the basis of that performance I think that, that like it's fixable in terms of sweepers and you know, there's, a, there's a game plan that you can fix for that I think um why they didn't do it Against Waterford I'm not sure That would definitely Give you cause for concern But I still think That they're I still think They're going to come out But in in Leinster I don't have a clue What's going
5: to happen No, no do I I mean Like Kilkenny really improved after their defeat against Tipperary and that was understandable when some players were coming back in from a combination of injury and playing with Ballyhale in the All-Ireland Club Championship the fact of it is that Kilkenny have found two players in key positions in Mikey Butler and in David Blanchfield David Blanchfield was probably fine to the league at wing back for Kilkenny he was brilliant throughout the campaign and Kilkenny beat Waterford in the last round of the league to qualify, alright they let six points slip against Cork at Porky Cueve but again they did okay to get to the semi-finals quietly they've been kind of building along they really shell-shocked Dublin when they met in the regular section of the league back at Parnell Park which would indicate that Kilkenny might have Dublin's number but who's going to finish in the top three places if you take I think Kilkenny are going to be one of the three but it's very difficult to tell whether it's going to be Wexford, Galway, Dublin who are going to uh, come along with them
0: If Galway don't don't make it Is that a disaster for for them Or is that just an indication of Actually there's long term Deep seated issues there
4: Sorry just to layer another question onto that Will The the expectation after Henry took over was This is potentially number two team in the country So I would say that that's But maybe that's just that external noise Painting it as a disaster But I would say it surely is no.
5: Yeah, look, I think they had a mixed bag of a league. Like, on the positive side, you would say they went to the Gaelic grounds, they matched Limerick physically and beat them and were really impressive that night a couple of months ago. Then, look, they had kind of indifferent results after that. Losing to Wexford meant it was always going to be difficult for them to qualify for the semi finals of the league. And look, their last few games didn't really matter because they knew with two rounds to go that they weren't going to qualify for the knockout stages. I thought they were pretty decent. I still think, like, they've got so much talent, particularly across that forward line, that Galway can be really good. There's no doubt that they could be a semi finalist at the end of this year. I'd be Surprised if they're beast. Waterford or Limerick but then again they might not have to beat Waterford or Limerick later this year depending on what happens in Munster and who comes out there but I don't know I, I'm kind of thinking on the face of the talent that they have Galway should come out but I've been fairly impressed with Wexford with the exception and the very important caveat performance against Dublin in the Walsh Cup final performance against Waterford in the semi-final everything in between that was really good and for Dublin pretty much everything outside the Kilkenny game was pretty good so it's going to be a right old fight to see who comes out of those uh, three teams because I think there's two places available for those three
0: yeah all right well, good stuff. Not bad power rankings, I have to say. You know, you've um, you've certainly saved some face as the season has worn on. Congratulations, and I'm looking forward to your championship edition.
5: Can Cheers. I say a very quick word To yep. down lads They were one of the massive jumpers Down went up to 13th place Very unlucky not to be promoted This is the Vagrancy of the league Where there's only one place For the teams In Division 2A To go up to the top flight For next season Almost got promotion For the first time Since 2007 To Division 1 Beat Kerry Beat Westmead In the regular section They've got a lot to build On the Joe McDonough Cup I know I had a few Down supporters onto me Seeing where they would go They've gone up ahead Of awfully C- uh, Kerry and Carlos So really good year for down
0: Comco says Tipperary getting major disrespect here I mean it might be right though Like it, it'd be a surprise For them to come through Given what we've seen And the injury problems they have And Shifty Lad says Will Most underrated presenter Producer out there Hurling power rankings are great stuff Eric Donovan podcast producer
4: too Always a great listen wholeheartedly well though it's kind of like describing Paul Scholes as underrated It just like it's uh, underrated so much we we respect the, the Willow Callahan level here Shifty Lad
5: and I can I can assure Shifty Lad as well that is not a burner account of mine
4: <laughs> well,
0: wow I mean that would be oh, that
5: would oh. be quite the revelation it would be quite the revelation I'm trying to stop my headphones being ripped out by Hank at the same time underneath my chair so it's <laughs> definitely not me writing on YouTube at the we, same time we
4: still haven't done Hank's uh, GA predictions yet
5: no, and I did record a test video with him as well He, I have to try and find two treats That he particularly likes exactly the same Because he gets confused if you put two That he's kind of indifferent about And he kind of goes, why are you trying to give me two of them Just give me one So once I can work that out, I will video it up And he can uh, do some predictions ahead of championship as long as be, Yeah, championship ready Hank is what we need Are you giving him some screen time here this morning You
0: know, to help this like get an extra 10,000 views
5: Can do, yeah I know Colin Boog in the background was having a look earlier When he was ripping my shoes uh, there he oh is. he's getting bigger Hank's He's attack. getting very big now at this stage, yeah. He is He's probably ready For his breakfast Around about now Which it seems to be My headphones But uh Yeah no he's a good boy He <laughs> Generally behaves himself lads Alright Well we'll let you both go And have your breakfast Well good stuff
0: Thanks a million That's Thanks, lads. Hurling power rankings I absolutely adore them lads I
9: have unbelievable time for them But they're, they're a great bunch But it's not acceptable
0: Alright it's 12 minutes past 8 Alan Quinlan is with us this morning Alan good morning to you How are you
9: Good lads, thanks and yourselves. Uh
0: what kind of a week have you had?
9: Um not too bad, no. I suppose uh always difficult to uh to be doing the monster the monster uh dissecting of the of a bad loss at the weekend. But um so the podcast was a bit a bit negative this week to say the least.
0: That's fair enough. I think um you know, there are some times when you just have to it doesn't. F- just things don't feel right at the moment. What? What's when people are talking to you about it? What are they saying to you? Like, what's the, what's the atmosphere like amongst Munster fans? Who know when they're talking to you that you're, you know, this this means so much to you.
9: Yeah, people online. I think you can see the reaction, um, and I suppose uh, some of, some of it is a little bit nasty, and some of it is balanced and fair. And I think being balanced and fair was is. Um, is where you want to be really. You don't want to hide away from the fact that, um, you know, the the issues and the problems and it's kind of looking like they'll peter out again this season, they'll peter out again with no, no trophy again for Munster. Um, they always seem to have a bit of bad luck as regards the injuries and the, and, and players available. And that comes down to squad depth and strength, um of, of your squad. And, and for all the clubs, particularly heading into Europe and, in their domestic le- leagues this year, that's you know you want players fit and healthy and your best players, and I think Munster are in a position at the moment where now there's a number of players out injured, and there was last weekend, and they, would they make a difference? to Some yes. Um, is the playing style coming back to, to bite them a little bit again? Yes, it is, and so I think a lot of the, I suppose there's there's a era deflation in, in amongst the Munster fans, and, and I was saying that. Um, coming out of the ground last Saturday I don't even get slagged anymore in Dublin <laughs> which is uh, you know things are, aren't great when that's not happening uh, but look it's there's a frustration there amongst the Munster fans I think you know it's been a long long time since they won a trophy and trophies are hard to come by um, some teams are at a different level and unfortunately Munster are still not where you would want them to be
0: yeah, like Le- Leinster needed Munster to be great to drive Leinster on to greatness, and um, you would feel that uh, that could happen again. That's um, you know Leinster could do it having Munster be really good again and actually occasionally beating them and keeping them sharp. You know, it's just it's not really good for well, Irish rugby to have Munster the way they are at the moment.
9: It's pr- it's pr- it's probably not good for Irish rugby and for for neutrals and and for people going to the games, but. I don't think Leinster are too concerned. They're pretty happy uh, that they're they're the dominant force in this fixture in the last number of years, um, and they keep winning them. And they can mix and match their team a little bit and still still be in a position to win the fixture. So yeah, I, of course it be, would be it'd be better. The same with Ulster and Connacht. I think it'd be you know if you had like every year, Jerry, we we started every season. You know, Leinster keep coming up as the top province as the team to beat. Um, it would be good if, 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 there was, uh, if we were factually correct in saying that Ulster, Connacht and Munster are in the mix and they could win the domestic league or, or go on a big run in Europe as well and potentially win the tournament. I think when, you know, you probably, where Munster want to get to is, is certainly from a Munster point of view is that you're talking about them possibly being in a position to win, win Europe and be certainly in the mix right at the end. I know they have been in a number of times in the last seven or eight years um, but you know you there's there's an inevitability about where they'll finish from you know probably semi-finals if they get there and even in this 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 run um, if they were to get through Exeter um, they could potentially be at home providing uh, well, well depends what happens in the Ulster to lose match they could potentially be at home in a quarter finals um, and you know they could get to that position but yeah look I think it would be um, it would be great if they if they got up to that level and that's the goal I think there is some young players that always give a little bit of well I suppose in the recent last couple of seasons they're giving more optimism but there's still a lot of stuff to be sorted out there uh, sorted out there and um and that's the worrying part. Like
4: y- Using Europe as a barometer is an interesting one because obviously you have the, the seasons of 17, 18, 19 where they get to the semi-finals. In the last couple of years, obviously, they didn't get there. So have they gone backwards again from 2019?
9: It, it just depends. Um, you know, Munster were always good. Um, even even if they hadn't the biggest or strongest squad in Europe, they were always could manoeuvre themselves through the pool stages um, get a home quarter final, which we know from history it 's very difficult for anyone to win away from home in quarterfinals and then you you 're suddenly in a semi final on so sometimes you can be a bit unlucky with with where it goes or lucky um, so i don 't know I think the frustrating part is probably the playing style and 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 the progression of of i suppose being comfortable in matches and and when you when you watch the game, that you can see tactically, they're very astute and they're a very hard team to beat. I think they've become probably an easier team to, to maneuver around and and to get a result against because they don't have this dominant force up front, eight forwards who are going to make it incre- like incredibly difficult for you. Um, they're trying to change the way they play. Um, they're not good enough at what they're doing and how they're doing that. So um, have they gone backwards? Well, I don't know. I think there's probably better players now um, than there was a couple of years ago. If you go back to when Rasy Rasmus got uh, Munster into that semi-final against Saracens, I think I think this playing group is probably more talented and there's probably more flair to it. Um, but they're an easier team to beat. Um, which is, is worrying. Um, one last so I question.
0: Think the problem- one, sorry, one last question on this. Um, uh, Peter Marnie was asked about the, the coaching and he went, it's not ideal, we're professionals, we'll get on with it. What impact do you think it is that they don't know what's coming next?
9: Uh, it's a big impact, Gerard, and this was always going to happen. It's been over four, nearly four months now since van Grand, the Johan van Graan, the Eoin van Graan announcement came. Um, it's, it's too long. It's uh, and look, I don't know why it's taken so long. It, there's probably some factors to that. Um, see what candidates were interested in the job, um, assess that. Um, and this is only speculation. And and maybe waiting to see is there more people available. I think a lot of the top coaches throughout the world. And we we we, you know, you saw Ronan O'Gara ruling himself out. He just signed a, a three-year contract last year. I think he probably would have been the number one choice. Um, Scott Robertson in New Zealand. Um, from what I was told, um, I don't think this wasn't public, um, ruled himself out, I think, because one of his kids is, is still in secondary school and um, he wants to wait, before, probably wants to wait and see what happens with the All Blacks of the World Cup and stuff and, and also whether he'll move and, one, and to get one of his daughters through school, I think. Um, so what candidates are available? So maybe... Um maybe that was a factor as well and and maybe the other side of us then see see how the season went from, see how they progressed in the league and and through this period around the six nations and stuff, but it's taken too long and it does create uncertainty there is absolutely no doubt um the uncertainty hasn't helped them and um I suppose if you're a player in a group like that, you're confused as to where you're going what's happening um and it probably has been a factor as well
0: okay all right. Um, the Leinster-Connacht game this weekend right if you are Connacht what are you trying to do in this first leg like obviously you want to win the game and you want to keep the score down as much as you possibly can to give yourself a fighting shot in the second game but how do you do that
9: well I think you have to get your own basics right and you know anyone who watched the game last week Leinster Munster-Leinster I think um you have to be at your very best when you're playing them. They're probably going to be stronger. They'll probably have a stronger team this week, um, given they'll have some players back. Um, uh, you've got to get your basics really right and you have to be tactically good. And I spoke about this in the podcast and maybe with you early in the week. Um, Munster were quite poor in the kicking game, the kicking exchanges. Um, Leinster had 13 lineups in the game. Munster had five. Uh, that tells you that Leinster weren't kicking the ball out. They were kicking it up the middle of the field a lot, playing that ping pong tennis game with, with, um, you know, with their long kicking and Munster kicked it straight back up in the air to him. Easy pickings for, for Leinster's back three. Um, They're able to launch attacks again. And if you allow Leinster, and it's very difficult when I say the word allow, Ger, it's very difficult to stop them. But if you allow them continuously get into your half and build phases, they're going to hurt you eventually. You know, the law of averages will say, you know, if, you're, if they're in there 10 times, they're a ruthless side who are very, very efficient when they get into that attacking zone, that they will punish you. Um, they keep hammering away. They'll take some penalties, but more often than not, you know, you're, you're going to break break down at some stage. Someone's going to make a mistake. They're going to wear you down. They're going to get through a tackle, and they're going to finish it. And they have that ability um, around their decision making and their anticipation of someone making a line break, of finishing things. So, for Connacht, I think it's about just managing the game well, and that's where, whether it's Caelan Blade or Marmion and, and Jack Carty, where where they play uh, with Connacht, um, they're a side that really want to play and throw the ball around a little bit. So you've got to be careful. Um, Andy Friend is not going to tell his side this week, just kick the letter off the ball and you're going to beat Le- Leinster. You're not. They have to play. But I think it's really important that they play in the right areas. They get their own set piece right. Connacht have had those issues this year. Um, scrum, um, their lineup has been pretty good. Um, and you want to try and starve Leinster possession, so holding on to the ball. So th- it's very, very obvious. But I think the kicking game is where Leinster's game has gone up another level um, and just been really efficient and where, where where they played. Like they kicked the ball more. We've had these debates over the years, Jared, about you know, Munster kicked the ball too much. Well Leinster kicked the ball three times more than, than Munster last Saturday night. But twenty nine times. Munster kicked it twenty six times. So sometimes if you look at stats and you think, well, Leinster are kicking more than, than Leinster. They're boring to watch. They're they're not. It's it's where they're kicking and how they're kicking. Um so for Connacht, I think it's they've got to bring their A game, and there I say the most, probably the most obvious thing is you've got to physically front up against them. Okay, they have a kind of a brutal force, Leinster, in the breakdown, and you've got to match that or try and at least get parity there.
0: One last question for you uh, that came up during the week, um, and Keith Wood picked his team for the weekend, and he had Carbery at fullback, and they were asked in the press conference this week about it, and Larkham said no, no plans to start him there at the moment. Is he a fullback? Would it be better to have Healy and Carby on the pitch at the same time for Munster at the moment?
9: Possibly. Um, I think if 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 uh, if Mike Healy is not available, I think it's 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 an option. Um, ben Healy coming off the bench. Listen, I, and I say say this: Look, when you're chasing a game and you bring players off the bench, inevitably things are going to change around. The pace is going to pick up a little bit. Um, Casey did that. Ben Healy did that. Um, is there a call? You know, should there be a call to start both of them and, and just go for it from the word go? These games are really intriguing because, and we haven't seen the situation, I, I think we've seen some playoff games over the years. But you know, the back to back games that you usually get around in December with the old format, yeah, you, you know, th- those games are always about win your home game. And if you're playing a big game team in France or England at least try and get a losing bonus point. you know we won a European Cup in 2008 getting a losing bonus point in Clermont they can be vital this is a little bit different like there's a mental challenge to this when you're playing guys one week after the other because you know if you get if you lose a match and there's a bit of niggle and you you can get fired up for the next game and and sometimes they make no sense Um, so there's a real intrigue into the mental side of this but these games are about managing the scoreboard so we're probably hoping that the, the The European these round sixteen games that they're brilliant rugby and it's all about you know attack attack attack. It's not. It's about you know if you're ten, if you're fifteen points down in the game with two minutes to go and you've a penalty, you're not kicking into the corner. You you might be really assessing the scenario of bring that twelve that fifteen points back to twelve, kick the penalty. So we may see some of that, and uh, it'll be it'll be really intriguing to see how they play out mentally for players. All right.
0: Quinny, good stuff. Enjoy the games. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. That's Alan Quinlan, host of the Red 78 podcast. You can get that by searching Red 78 in whatever podcast app you use and it's available for download right now. It is 8.27. It is time for us to uh, turn our attention to golf and say, Happy Christmas, Joe Malloy.
8: <laughs> Happy Christmas. How are you feeling? Very excited. Looking forward to it. It's always a four days of the year, Ger, where I turn off the world sit on the couch and change my clothes four days later that's excellent Um, I
0: hope you've got the the requisite snacks etc what Um, do you expect to happen it's kind of such a a weird build up to this one
8: it's been Tiger Mania hasn't it in the build up so a lot of guys have gone under the radar very much McElroy included it's horrible to say but I don't know not because there's five or six or seven guys who are red hot and not because there's one dominant player that the field are all worried about it's because there's a question mark hanging over almost everyone Uh, our new world number one included he's not really the world number one at the moment Scotty Scheffler there's like a past the parcel effect going on in golf and uh, last year I certainly thought John Ram when he won the US Open and was uh, genuinely glorious at the Ryder Cup I thought he was primed to quote unquote dominate in so much as you can in golf but he's fallen away his putting has become uh, very iffy and he doesn't look too happy on the course more so than John Ram often doesn't look too happy on the golf course so there's no truly dominant uh, player at the moment, and therefore this is wide open. Again, question marks over any player you want to throw at me. I can see them winning, of course, but there's also a slight nagging concern almost over all of them. And uh, we were just making the point on Golf Weekly that uh, Scotty Scheffler, for instance, is eight point something on the world ranking points at the moment. We don't have to go into the minutiae of how that's formed, but he's eight point something. John Ram's eight point something, and they're all tightly bunched. Like, woods at his peak got up to 32 at one stage, all world right. ranking points wow. so that was dominance what we have now are a bunch of guys who are struggling to fill the post tiger uh, vacuum and who knows maybe they're all just so good they're they're all nipping at each other's heels but I just suspect it's a it's a post tiger thing you know so I I don't know there's any number of guys um, I mean whoever you want to talk about but I uh, have concerns over all of them you know like that, a way a very general question and, and- probably impossible to answer but are they better than
0: the generation of golfers that woods was was dominating like yeah uh, it's a really interesting point you make like maybe they are all so much better that they're actually quite close to where tiger was but a bit behind him but not behind him the way that it appears when you when you do that
8: i think they're all a lot better than the previous generation and woods at his peak is still way better than all of them i don't think We've still fully appreciated in a respect how outrageous Tiger Woods was. And it's only going to be when another couple of generations go by and nobody manages to do what he did in terms of dominance that will look back and go, oh, now I'm really starting to get how freakish that was. So I think they are all better than the group that Woods was taking care of. And it's a deeper field. There's more of them. But if peak Tiger Woods was out there, then he would still be far and away the best player far and away
0: it's hard to compare generations because of the the changes in equipment but I guess putting averages will be fairly uh, similar I mean I don't know but that's again because they've outlawed certain putting styles from um, from that time too so are they better putters are they more straight drivers are they they obviously hit the ball further but the things that maybe don't change are they strategically more nuanced than the generation that he was up against
8: I think they're better in most aspects, to be fair, because the coaching is better. Video analysis is there. Trackman is there. Like Somebody like Dustin Johnson, up until 2016, wasn't an especially good uh, wedge player, for instance. So the way he countered that was he got on Trackman every single day and it told him his exact yardages and it measured his ball flight and his attack angle and uh, bit by bit he could improve very quickly. You go back to Faldo's generation, you know, they were the first generation that worked off video. Yeah. And they were suddenly getting into slots on in their backswing. Some of it wrong, by the way, and Trackman disproved certain things. Like, there, there's things about how to hit a draw that were uh, taken as red, and Trackman has recently disproved them. But this, you know, each generation has had to work. Ben Hogan didn't have camera, Faldo did, and now we're on Trackman. So it's become easier to get better with each passing year. Uh, in terms of strategy, that's the one thing, maybe, which has gone slightly into decline because... Bryson DeChambeau's strategy, I'm sure you realise, is I'm going to hit that thing as far as I can. I'm going to go find it, and I'm going to try and hit it again. So uh, <laughs> I think strategy is a little bit less uh, nuanced, but um, yeah, Woods is just a total and complete freakish outlier. Stick him in any generation you want. Okay, uh,
0: the, what what represents a good weekend, a good week, making the weekend for Tiger? Is that enough
8: for us to go? Wow, that is a triumph for the human spirit. I think so. I think him teeing off today. Is phenomenal. Like it's really outrageous. There were very uh, severe and real concerns. He'd have to have his leg amputated, and then absolutely subsequent to that, the sense was these are life-changing injuries. And I spoke to a couple of people who uh, work in the medical profession, and, and they said this guy's in so much trouble. Like it's it's bad, 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 bad. And he arrives at Augusta uh, with an array of rods and metal. Uh, and and screws and anything you care to mention across that right leg. So it's kind of a miracle he's here. I think even if he misses the cut, I think it's a success. And it gets me a little bit excited for the golfing season ahead because it means St. Andrews is now a real possibility, that flat terrain. And that should suit him uh, more so than the walk at Augusta, if not necessarily the course, because he knows Augusta like the back of his hand. I mean, he said during the week he's here to win it. He says that all the time. Freddie Couples played with him and Justin Thomas on Monday and was absolutely effusive about Woods' game. He said the driver was like a machine. He said it was every bit as long as Justin Thomas all the way around. Woods is the greatest iron player of all time. And Couples said the game looked great. Like he said, it looked great. And the only concern is the walk. So if the game is that good, and, you know, this is why I'm super super excited to see him anyway, but certainly for the first hour, we're all going to be watching very closely today to see where the game is. But if the game is that good... I'm sure there are a lot of painkillers been taken, a lot of anti-inflammatories been taken, uh, 20 full-time physiotherapists working on him after each round. But if you can, can get around and the game is good, then look, from his perspective, and I think it's, it's hard because to put a card in your hand for the first time after 14 months is huge pressure, like to not have a warm-up event is, is, a, is very difficult. But I would think his logic is, well, I'm looking around, if Scotty Scheffler is the world number one, with the greatest respect to Scotty, and nobody's in red-hot form, I'm just going to go out there my plan on Thursday don't make a mess of things shoot a 73 shoot a 74 be in the final uh, two three four groups Sunday have my name on the leaderboard and in 2019 we saw Francesco Molinari, Brooks Kepka, Tony Finau all go in the water in 12 and it was the Tiger effect it was weird to see it again a decade on from when his name on the leaderboard would freak out the others so I'd say that's Woods' uh, game plan but to your question it's already been a success. I didn't uh, think we'd see him again this year the way he was talking. So he's off at half three today. He's part of the, the featured
4: yeah. groups. If you're not in the featured group, you still can't be watched, right? You can watch the shots back in the Masters yeah. app. That that hasn't... Like, I remember there was a bit, bit more coverage last year. Was that just because the app got better? Or or, or am I
8: completely misremembering? Was it- uh, expect an angry tweet from me at about five. Mm. At, pe- at peak, why are we watching one featured group? like when they're all out there like Mac- McElroy's last out but there'll be various people that you really want to see and TV's not showing them because Augusta said this is how we do things even though it's 2022 uh, the app to be fair is the greatest app in world sport the app is now at a stage owned where as soon as a player hits a shot it is instantly up on the app yeah, to watch yeah, yeah. So you go onto the app, you click on the player, and it just plays each shot one after another. In effect, like I mean, no sport lends itself more to golfing highlights, are sorry, to, to sporting highlights than golf. I mean, I can show you someone's round, someone's seventy-two shots in about ninety-five seconds. So um, the app is, is is amazing, but like, it's not the greatest way to watch. Golf either, but you'll see every single shot you want to see, just not on television. So explain that to me.
4: Well, like I mean, it's it's why it's the greatest television sport there is. Like people are like, oh, red zone's amazing, but it's like golf is red zone. That's it's always been red zone ever since they they cracked the code whenever it was and actually uh, and, and and actually managed to nail this thing. So t- Tiger West and Neiman is in that group. Who else are you looking forward to then after seven when the when the the full coverage actually starts?
8: Ah, uh, like McElroy. Yeah, you know the the enigma. I don't feel good about his chances this year. I've come into Augusta before uh, thinking that he was in great shape and everything was pointing towards him having a, a great year and he just had to handle the pressure. I think this year he still has to handle the pressure, which is enormous, by the way, and it's, it's only ever growing. And um, as much as he tries to talk that down, you know, this is a really unfair thing for him. But because he won the three uh, other majors so early and four in total, it's, it is a brutal way of putting it and it's, it's not. A, I don't entirely believe it because he even said himself this week he's a Hall of Famer but because he won the other three so early in some respects his career will be a little bit defined by whether he did the Grand Slam or whether he was the kid who had 15, 16, 17 goes at the Grand Slam and, and, and didn't. You know, Greg Norman is, is known every bit as much for his failure at the Masters as he is for his two Open wins and look, McElroy's fighting that a little bit I would think and, and aware of that In short, I don't think... This is more of a personal observation than a factual one. I don't think increasingly he's playing his best golf when the pressure comes on. And I think that's getting worse as the years go on. What we can say factually is he's going to have to have a better putting week than he's liable to have. But his putting has much improved under Brad Faxon. The big issue with McElroy is his approach to the green work, which is just nowhere near good enough. And he is massively frustrated with this. He's been frustrated with this for a long time. We've seen him break wedges in the last uh, 12 months. And Augusta requires precision. You know, you, you start with this golf course, you work your way out from the hole itself. Uh, you need to be on the right side of the hole. You need to therefore be on the right area of the green. You don't have much to aim at. If the greens are wide, they're not very deep. If they're not very deep, they're wide, but they're not very deep. And his iron play lets him down. Like even Texas, where he missed the cut, he's air mailing greens with a wedge. You just, you're, you're dead if you do that in Augusta. So I what I... What I fear from McElroy is we will see uh, birdies for sure, absolutely, but we'll just we're going to see too many mistakes. You are going to see him go in a little flurry of birdies here and there, and then you are going to see mistakes, and you'll be saying, "Where did that come from?" And you know, I, it was it was interesting. He did um, a video recently with some uh, podcasters over in the US where he taught them how to hit driver. You know, and it was a tailor made thing. And he was talking to them about the driver swing and the wedge swing and explaining the differences. And he said, that's why, you know, I've got a really good driver swing, but the wedge swing maybe isn't as good. And he almost caught himself and, and said, but it's not as bad as people say, you know. And it was almost like this kind of moment of being self-conscious about the yeah. things. So inside his internal bit, you know? monologue. Right. A little bit, yeah.
0: Not like, great when you're standing over the ball and you're like, no, no, my, my swing's fine. Honestly, Yeah, you, know, you believe I, it. No,
8: you, if, you just, yeah. if you just believe it, it's going to be fine. Close your eyes. And I think that's why he went to Pete Cowan a year or so ago. It was to sort out the wedges. And I think that's why they started hitting fades to be more controlled. And it, it just didn't work. And that's why he was in tears at the Ryder Cup. He said just to you and Murray in the Guardian this week, I was in tears because I'd spent a year on this thing and I hadn't got better. You know, like this is the, the frustration. People say he doesn't work hard enough. I think he does. I think he really is working so hard. And maybe he's not, you know, in a bad mood for six months on end because he doesn't win. But I think he cares uh, deeply. How could he not? And... It's just not there for him. I one last quick point. I watched the players, round one. Uh first hole, he's playing with Morikawa and speed and and Justin Thomas, two contemporaries that like will be really in the mix this week. They all split the fairway three hundred yards. Three hundred yards, like gorgeous, amazing, middle of the fairway. Uh the two of them are within fifteen feet which is where you have to be. And he missed the green, you know, and you just and, and you could just the body language instantly, first hole of the first round of the sawgrass, there was this sense of mm. and who knows? Look, he is one swing thought away from genius and from swashbuckling and from winning this by 10 shots. That's the hope for me. I, I, I think that's, that's how I see him winning. If he's going to win, it's either blows foot all the way and, and blows everyone away and yeah. doesn't have to worry or think, or uh, he, he shoots a great round on Sunday and, and comes from 10 behind somehow with a 62. But um, I, I don't see it this year. I hope, but I don't see it.
0: OK, what about I love Me County? Uh, Seamus Power and uh, his talk of Playing well in the fall. This is spring, and uh, hopefully he's going to play well.
8: Everything points to him playing well. Look, it's amazing what's happened here with Perrot, genuinely. Like, he's gone up 422 places in a year. I think we're all still getting to know him a bit. And just to that end, if you sort of want to be, be on his side a bit more, Dennis Walsh wrote a fantastic piece in the Sunday Times at the weekend. And this would just give you a sense of how he's made his way in the game. So what Dennis Walsh did, he called... Uh, Fred Warren, who works for East Tennessee, Fred Warren was over at Port Marnock. He saw Seamus Power. He said, I like the cut of your jib. I'm going to offer you a golf scholarship. And Fred then got an angry phone call from Seamus Power's aunt, Aunt Alice, who accused him of really messing up potentially with her nephew's education. And you're causing a lot of problems here for the family. So it turns out, as Dennis Walsh uh, writes, Seamus Power was just eight years old when his mother passed away, which I didn't. Uh, Realised so para's mother passed away when he was just eight he had two uh, he had twin brothers two years older than him so his father ned had a small farm in dungarvan and took a second job to make ends meet as a welder and worked night shifts very difficult for the family so aunt alice helped out with the family and the raising of the children and uh you know big on education and so she rings fred warren angry phone call said you send me every syllabus every catalog you have send it over right away let me look through it and a couple of weeks let go by and Fred Warren's phone rings and Aunt Alice says, you have my blessing, you have a beautiful campus. To which Fred says, have you been to our campus? And she says, I have a niece in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I flew over and I drove down to see your university. There's no messing with Aunt Alice is the point of this story, by the way. And uh, Fred Warren speaks of of Power's character. He said in 41 years, 41 years of running the golf program, none of the golf scholarship students ever took accounting. He said, I had a lot of business majors, finance, management, accounting is much harder, standard in the school is very high. When Seamus told me he was going to major in accounting, I said, Seamus, that takes a lot of time. It's a really hard major. Seamus Power said to him, I'll be fine. And then Warren says, "Power was knocking out A's in every semester, graduated Great. with honours. I liked everything about him. He had an independent streak. So he's in New Harrington, really? Like, there's a- yeah, he's total Harrington. Yeah. So amazing how he's made his way in the game. and. Look, what he's done in the last 18 months, he's worked with Barbara Tella. He has sorted out a dreadful two-way miss with his driving. And that, look, Rory crossed my mind when I read this as well. Apparently, he, he hung out with Zach Johnson to polish up his wedge play as well of late. And um, all of those things combined with the surgery in his elbow, which was causing him problems. 422 places to go from stressing about your career and, and just looking like someone who was going to hang on for a while on the PGA Tour at best and then disappear a little bit to suddenly be driving down Magnolia Lane hanging out with Harrington and Larry and McElroy and enjoying the whole thing and, and being very much a part of the tour it's an amazing amazing story I think he's probably um, a pretty special character and we're, we're getting to know him a little bit more now so I, I really hope he goes well
0: alright good stuff Joe enjoy thanks a million
8: alright fellas thanks
0: It's Joe Malloy there giving us his thoughts on the Masters you can hear more from Golf Weekly you can uh, subscribe on patreon.com forward slash golf weekly and of course you can hear Joe from Sunday to Thursday uh, our Saturday presenter John Duggan is also with us John
7: Ger and Owen, good morning. What is going on? Uh, Well, it seems like Ten Hag has got the job at Old Trafford, if you go through every back page this morning. It's funny how it leaked out, isn't it? No no big announcement, no, this is our guy, no unveiling. It was like, leaked out. Well, it just shows where Man United have gone in the last 10 years, doesn't it? Not a slickly run organisation, in my view. You look at the way Man City and Liverpool are runners' organisations. You go to Old Trafford, it's shabby in comparison to other football stadiums now the Glazers have not been good for the club and Eric Den Hag is a very well regarded coach uh, I was at the biggest game of his career, uh, Ajax Tottenham Hotspur and the only criticism he might have is that there is a degree of naivete around the fact that his teams are attack 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 which has always been the mantra at Old Trafford so I think this is the big leagues uh, This is a guy who's worked very well as part of a team at Ajax, uh, won Dutch titles, but at the most resource club in the Netherlands, going into the lion's den of having to deal with Cristiano Ronaldo and Paul Pogba. Now he might not have to deal with them if both players are gone out of the club, but um, I think the, the issues at United are more structural, and I do not have the evidence in my mind that the people making the decisions at Old Trafford in the hierarchy there know what they've been doing in comparison to the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool
0: no it doesn't feel that way does it? no Um, and so this could be the turning point or this could be another in a long line of well we've thought about this for a little while let's go with this because it's different from what we had last time
7: well there's just two things I'm hearing here oh he'll be great with young players Well, that's fine well then Ronaldo and Pogba surely shouldn't be at the club next year and secondly he'll be play attacking football You're always hearing these things, but you see all the apparatus beside Klopp and the apparatus of Michael Edwards in Liverpool and the apparatuses around Manchester City, and you just think that Man United are years behind this. Years. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. We wish him well if he gets the gig 52 years of age. Pochettino, obviously, there's the buyout clause element of it. Um, but Pochettino's share price maybe has gone down.
0: I saw somebody saying Manchester United are thinking financially here it would have been 15 million to get Pochettino. It's like a million and a half to get to Nhaik but Pochettino's going to get sacked in the summer. You would have got him for nothing. Like there's definitely you could have done a deal with PSG where you say we know you're going to sack him We'll give you. We'll give you one million for it. Do you know, like
7: it, it, There's a way around that. that well, Man United can find the money as well. They're that's your the the thing. Club it doesn't the matter. Yeah. Uh, so they want Ten Hag, obviously. Um, if you're a Chelsea fan or an Everton fan this morning, you're probably got a bit of a sore head. Chelsea, like, surely the issues uh, off the pitch have seeped into the players in the club. But the uncertainty kills business, in my view. You need certainty in business, even if you're a, a football club with gilded players and Karen Benzema was fantastic last night in that 3-1 win for Real who with Carlo Ancelotti once again um, I'd say he probably had a nice bit of satisfaction around that given the way he was so badly treated by Chelsea back in 2010 That's the Italian big Sam yeah yeah uh, you know, to be fair he's got a great agent um, maybe not as good as Jermaine Genius is but still a good agent Uh, a 3-1 win for Real last night but Everton lads we've talked about it on the show before I just want to play a bit of Sean Dyche who dropped the mic in the most spectacular style after the game last night
1: The mentality's hard you know I've been down there I know what it's like you know every season's been there's been tough patches for us Um, and sometimes you kind of so it's hard to explain, but you kind of sense that the team might have like lost out to win a game. And I said to them half times, "I'm not sure these know how to win a game, lads. You know, away from home, particularly." So I said, "We've got to play on that. We've got to play on that mentality. We do it by playing forwards. We do it by playing forwards with better quality um, and by being a more aggressive in our, in our play, if you like. Uh, passing. I don't mean physically, but our passing play and trying to get into the front area of the pitch. It wasn't glorious, by the way, but there was patches and enough patches where we found
7: three goals. And I'm pleased with that." You'd want Bernie to stay up to that, wouldn't you? Yeah, like it's they were
0: two on down. Yeah, at halftime when he was saying they, they they can't win this game, they don't know how to. Mm.
7: Brilliant stuff. It is great. It's it's
4: kind of like um, Everton and maybe Frank Lampard to an extent have just been at like fancy cocktail parties all their life, and now they've gone into this dingy bar and Deitch is like, "Welcome to our place now. This is this is this is where we're at home. This is this is our comfort zone." And it's almost like you know the the air getting thinner the higher you go up. The league table, the same almost goes for the further down the league table you go. That Burnley are used to this sort of slog and Everton potentially aren't, that they would be safe by this time of the season. They wouldn't really care, they'd be mid table Will
7: Lampard be even their own? Like, if they've got nine games left, do they make a decision now? Because Lampard, every time I hear Lampard, and it might be a lovely fellow, whatever, every time I hear him, it just seems like he's a TV pundit talking about another club. Well, they, they need to improve, they need to sort themselves out. Um, this has got to be better. You're the manager. Mm. I'd, st- I'd-, I'd I'd love to see what I'd love. I mean, Seamus Coleman. I'd love to see what the dressing room is like at Everton at the moment. It will be the most fascinating find. Of the world talk about Amazon documentaries. Oh, yeah, they need to be- do Amazon documentaries about clubs that really struggle.
4: That would be good. This yeah. year would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. They thought they were onto a winner with Arsenal, and maybe they still will be. But Everton's the one. Maybe maybe Amazon come along and was like, "We'll give you." Fifty million quid, if you let us into the dressing room, and they'll be like, "Well, that'll make up for the losses in the Premier League." That's too much.
7: Hundreds of millions. Five hundred grand. Twenty
4: million. Five hundred grand. Okay,
7: Five hundred grand. <laughs> How <laughs> much do people pay for these things? Not much. Not it much can't be that big. much, can it? I don't
0: know. It's good. it's a good question. How much does Spurs make for exposing themselves? But um, well, that was
7: yeah. That that looks worse with every single day um, that that passes. Uh, that was a waste of my life watching that documentary. What first. else have you got for us, John? Uh, well, Nathan Collins just let like, you know, scored that first goal yeah. for Burnley last night. Sixty the Irish. Who is he? the Irish Virgil
4: van Dyke, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah have we not handed that Monica out already no, no we've had the Rio Ferdinand out we yeah. haven't handed Vir- Virgil van Dyke out yeah, so it was yeah. Pat Dolan in the paper last week said he was the Irish Virgil
7: oh, van okay. oh sorry okay. that was it yeah six defeats and seven for Everton now only a point ahead of Burnley and uh, Leeds not safe completely yet and Everton have not been relegated from a top flight since 1951 uh, West Ham great to see them in Europe at a quarter final stage against Leon tonight in the uh, Europa League quarterfinal first leg Rangers away to Braga there's under-20 football action in Leinster this evening. Day one of Aintree Grand National Meeting. Aintree Hurdle, a feature race there at half three. And obviously, as Joel was speaking about there, we're all getting giddy about uh, spending our next four days on a couch. With
0: did you see the clip of Kyle O'Neill scoring a goal and a point in injury time?
7: I did. Yeah, I wouldn't Machine. want to watch that as a Clare. Clare
0: a... of the game won in the in the yeah. Gaelic grounds. So seventy four minutes are up basically. Seventy three minutes of the allotted seventy
4: four, and the free is from about thirty five yards. It, like it's it's almost becoming a, a situation now where I, I don't know what you do if if you're if you're cha- if you're holding onto a lead, you just got a foul in midfield at this point because you've got the Kyle O'Neill goal, you've got the Lake goal, the Sigerson, you've obviously got the Ballygunner. Uh, sorry, no, the TJ Reid uh, situation in the. All-Ireland Club semi-final All from dead balls
0: Yeah,
7: yeah
4: I
0: mean with Bally Gunnar If you pull him down Does he, I don't know Does he just get up And take the free and score it I don't know Like more people On the actual line And a draft excluder style And a wall Like start thinking about These things in a way That isn't We're just going to have A bunch of people Standing in
4: the keeper's way Yeah, well Unless you're Colin Fennelly Who walks in the keeper's way Very tactically Which is genius as well Yeah, yeah Well that's coming So you know that's coming Yeah And then Then the ball goes
0: out And they're like They find him in space it's like what? It's tricky.
4: I, I don't think anybody's going to be easing into this year's All Ireland Hurling Championship, but Coloney is definitely not going to be one of those players who's like r- running on top of the ground right now. So he's going to be one of the most exciting young players to watch in those first couple of weeks of the championship, I suspect. All right. Uh, for more details, you've got about four hours
0: left. Two hours left before you need to get to the bookmakers to follow John Duggan's advice. Where do
7: they get it, John? OtbSports.com and on the Otb Sports app. Over two thousand words of of prose and uh, hard analysis on the Masters, and hopefully one of the sex tests will do something. And more from John on Saturday afternoon from 1
0: o'clock on Off the Ball on News Talk as well. Am I the only one hearing relaxing music in the background? It's fantastic, by the way, says Brown. Brian says, lads, scrap the background music. Sounds like I'm on hold while trying to cancel a movie package that I got during the pandemic, and I still somehow have. Tennis Tank, never use that music again. Had to turn (laughs) off.
7: It's not the quiet music, is it? No, No,
4: no. What is it? It's uh, the Willow O'Callaghan elevator music while he's uh, bringing us up and down the Hurling Power Rankings. United should not get potch. He has failed to
0: perform multiple times. What are your thoughts on Scottish and Irish football teams joining the English pyramid, asks the editor. Segway. Well, yeah, it's uh, about an hour long, two hour long. Uh, No. No. We're an independent company. Country. No. Uh, Bomboy Ireland says, greetings from Abu Dhabi boys, looking at 38 degrees today. 38 is just the fringe of acceptable. Any more than that, and you're like, no thanks.
4: What? No way. you're into the thirties,
0: it's absolutely unacceptable. The late twenties is absolute hard limit. Uh you don't notice that much of a difference between thirty two and thirty eight. Oh, really? No. T- tell us well, more you're, about you're, your uh, feet, luxurious lifestyle your your in the feet Middle East. Burn. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, it gets hot other places, like <laughs> Spain. But <Been to> Spain? <laughs> it's like you can get in an airplane and you can fly to Spain. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah sometimes it hits like <laughs> mid 30s over there <laughs> okay uh, Dory the Explorer says morning lads if you have a dog on screen I might actually listen to the sports I don't like at normal speed or without skipping and so yes we are going to make that a thing any uh, more niche like whatever it is Dora that you thought was uh, you know niche about the hurling power rankings you know, we're just going to have sport. a cute cat on screen for the crappy quiz every week are there such things as cute cats yes are all cats not kind of just cat like Oh, extremely cute cats and the majority of them are Owen's oh, a cat man it turns out OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day right um, here's a special report from Ardoin from Owen's trip to Belfast enjoy
1: OTB
6: AM
3: We always say here at and GAC, you know, we, we like to consider ourselves to be the the, the the heart of our community. That's on our mural at the end of Flax Street. We, we like to say that we 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 don't take that for granted, that we keep giving back.
6: I think you notice especially with this club, but all. GA clubs in Ireland they're, 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 they're always one of the first organisations to step forward to help the community that they are part of we are only part of the community we aren't the community but we play a vital role in that community as you know Ardoin itself is an area that has suffered greatly throughout the conflict and in more recent times high levels of poverty and whatever and the GA isn't immune to that I mean our members come from this community and this club especially um, we have had several members who, who were murdered during the conflict, so even though we were we were part of the community, we weren't immune to what was going on around us, and this c- club played a vital role in supporting our community through that conflict, and then, as I said, in more recent times. I'm standing
1: here in the Drive, and uh, this is a, a, a sort of a plaque in memory of a young member from our club called Seamus Morris. Seamus was only 18 and he played for our under-18 football team. Uh, A fantastic young player, a fantastic young person, Um, well-liked. Seamus was sitting on his wall, again, talking to friends in his own street, Um, just this street here, I think it's uh, uh, Haybury Gardens, and what happened was a a car pulled around a corner and it had loyalist gunmen in, and these loyalist gunmen got out of the car seen this group of young people and they fired into the into the group of young people, killing Seamus and Seamus died. And every year our club members come round and they'll put wee flowers here just to remember Seamus and his family. And then we have Peter Dolan and Peter actually was uh, shot dead on the same day because Peter seen what was happening. Peter was driving a lorry at the time and he dra- he, he tried to block the escape of the gunmen and they got out and shot him dead, as he sat in his... Uh, in his in his lorry so this is just a memory of uh, of of young seamus here uh, an old iron kickhams
3: uh, member when i grew up um again back in troubled times and I, I know my own my own mother and family tried to do their best to keep me away from uh, and keep me out and, and and sheltered from any trouble that was going on but um I I do personally feel I was I was robbed of a little bit of my my Irishness and my and my culture. My father had been put out of his own business on the Columbia Road when the, the when the trouble started in the early days. We lived at it was still in North Belfast but we lived outside of the district. Um, it was a very dangerous place to be. Um, Involvement with the GAA in itself was was dangerous to be involved and to be mentioned. When I was walking around this area when I was young, so you would be stopped by British soldiers
1: and this constant thing about being British. And, and this was this was my identity. This is who I was. And it, this was important to me, to say who I was. Um, when we get into the bus, and you have to remember, we, when we were playing under 16, for instance, uh, our bus was known. And as I say, we didn't know. Or we didn't have a home pitch. And so if we would have travelled outside the area. The first thing we all knew in that bus, the driver, all the teammates, is that we we're going to get stopped. And it didn't matter whether it was the under-16 team, the under-18 team, or the senior or junior teams. Everybody gets stopped. We would have got stopped by the UDR, by the British Army. And, and sometimes we may have got stopped four or five times before we even got to the pitch. That was the reality in which we lived. We have lost... Since that time, through the conflict, our club have lost a full team through sectarian murder. That's that's what's happened to us. And we also have lost people who have went to jail. So we'd lost a big part of that. Our club had been raided. Our bus had been stopped. And throughout all those times, we're still here.
3: I think at the last count and That was before the Camogie started up again. We had twenty-one teams out there. If we if we need to have another nineteen um, teams on the go, well then we'll work out how we'll how we'll we'll get that going and how we'll, how we'll resource it. Um, but it's bring it on is our attitude first, and, and we'll work out what to do after that.
1: One of our big problems on here is that we have a pitch, but it's council owned, and so we have to we have to find something like thirty thousand pound every year just to pay for the use of that pitch now that pitch can be used by other uh, sport and activity so it can be used by soccer but we have a uh, we have first preference but there's 26 soccer dedicated soccer pitches in north belfast but there is no dedicated gaa pitch none but if you look throughout down, it's just all streets And the old park's the same. It's all streets. There isn't really any play facilities. There's no real green areas for young people to run about or to do anything. This area here, or this club, takes young people in, gives them a self-respect for themselves and identity, and encourages
6: them to make uh, the right choices in life. We are stronger now, I'd say, than we have ever been in our history. For the first time in a long time, we now... Provide all the sports, all the GA sports for all codes in all ages. And as a club, we are only getting stronger. Our membership has grown year on year. I, I certainly
3: have memories of Casement Park and up there um, uh, watching the county matches and watching um, our own club play there at, uh, at different finals, uh, etc. Um, I think for GAA as a whole, um, and certainly for. Clubs like ourselves stuck in the middle of uh, uh, of areas like this in North... Bel- in, well, in not just North Belfast, but all over Belfast. Our biggest competitor is soccer. And the reason why, um, I believe, the reason why it, it wins every time is because soccer is promoted and is promoted by... Um, all the excellent stadiums that there are um, throughout, throughout um, Belfast and uh, and, the, and the province as a whole and the country as a whole. Um, and and we as we in GAA don't have that.
6: Casement will be the catalyst for the GAA in Antrim. Antrim is Ireland's second biggest city. It should be the heartbeat of the GAA in Ireland. And it has so much untapped potential that it's unreal. And Casement will be the shining light of that. It will be a modern, provisional stadium Antrim Gales will get use out of it, but Ulster Gales will get use out of it and it'll be useful for Gales all across Ireland. And what it will do is it'll give young people an aspiration. They will see a massive state-of-the-art stadium in their own county, which they can dream of playing in. It it
0: has definitely become symbolic for the people of Belfast who are interested in GAA, the the stadium issue. And, you know, sometimes these things um, end up not delivering on the... Promise because it's just a stadium right but it has it has become a symbol of so much more and that um, to get it built will require the community coming together and understanding what the issues that the residents have and negotiating with them and maybe showing a pathway to better communication and like uh, how to better ingrain yourself and in parts of your own community because they should be able to make friends with the people of West Belfast
4: to build the stadium, right? They haven't been able to do that. No, and it feels that there's probably... maybe regrets on on every side here about how things have have gone over the last little while especially from the very first situation when it first got planning permission and and, and first got uh, rejected essentially as a result of of, of residents protesting against it but what, what is interesting I think like often we have conversations around these these big stadiums and you know what will it do for the community I do think the GEA by and large has done okay when it's had these big grounds built to redeveloped that it is a facility for schools finals club well, finals all that well, sort you'd of thing. have to you'd have to question the amount
0: of white elephants stadiums that are never used or not, not busy during the year, right, around the country. Like, is the Gaelic grounds full as often as it should be? Is Porto often? Like, the the women's teams have barely played in Porto So I'm not sure that we've got a great track record of building stadiums that are actually going to be used by the
4: communities and properly embedded. Yeah, yeah. I Like, there does seem to be a real sense of optimism within the people that I was within Belfast and the people that I was speaking to. That this would be an asset, not an asset that's sweated, but something that's used by as I say, schools finals, whatever county finals, uh, and not not even that 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 every young football hurling camogie player within Belfast would have an opportunity to play there at some point like are the other stadiums being utilized like that the two you mentioned for example I'd like to think that they are now are they being used properly for commercial reasons is, is an entirely different thing or are they actually having enough big games there because are there enough big games in the, the Gaelic Games calendar I think that's actually a separate conversation so um, as we've seen from Cork this year they're clearly not getting enough big games there they, they do need the, the, the concerts to try and pay back their level of debt that they have but I guess that's an extraordinary level and, and something in, something entirely different but at the same time costs have risen on casement over the last little while as well this thing is a more expensive project Who, who's going to pay for the rising costs ah, the British if, government can pick it up right if, if, come on if um, if, if this, this, this residence appeal is turned down and then it does get to go ahead this year um, like the the DUP I know have said that the, that the GAA should come up with the extra money for it for example well, somebody should pay for it
0: yeah. like they should be able to work that out again that's negotiation
4: Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it gets to that point. That would be you a good problem. The DEP,
0: don't fancy there. Yeah. you know, it's, it's always tricky. But like they can always go over their heads. I mean, um, yeah, it's tricky.
4: Yeah, it's not, it's not ideal. It, like there, it may be an easier negotiation after May when we see what 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 happens in in that election. But yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting time. There's no sense anyway that that's like that this is unimportant. It's it's a, it's kind of a vital part of of the the jigsaw for and from GEA and for Ulster GA as a whole I think from from what we've heard uh, Owen says my two favourite Munster games this season were Scarlet we beat them 43-13
0: away from home with the youngsters and Scarlet's playing the big guns and Wasps we all know about that that was obviously when the kids played in that one as well both with players relatively untouched by Van Graan and Larkham, the talent is there the passion is there they've been let down by their conservative senior coaches playing the wrong style for the players at their disposal usual square peg round hole type scenario uh, on a final sad note, it's over a two-hour drive to Limerick. Why would I drive up there with my kids to watch a boring grind? It's a very good question. Like, uh, this is entertainment. But, it's, like, it's it, it, the, the thing that Munster have is that it's more than just entertainment. It is actually, like, an expression of personality and identity. And that's why rugby in Munster had such a head start in the professional era because there was such a strong connection and that's why it was such a horrible place to go for visiting teams. And um, a lot of that is dissipating and it's dissipating quickly because people don't see themselves reflected in what's happening on the pitch. Enough.
4: It definitely seems that way. Like, I mean, if if Owen is saying there that the style of play and the grind that it is, to put it in his words, is that if that's actually affecting his... Uh, kind of, kind of appetite to go and see the the team. I, I'd say he's far from the only one who's thinking that way. Like you do want to be entertained to a point, but winning is all important. If the team is winning and he's and they're grinding out wins and they're playing a, a, a kind of a, a, a less attractive style of rugby, but still winning games, I suspect that it, it would have been much harder to get a ticket last weekend, for example. Like uh, I mean, obviously, we had uh, Keane Tracy in yesterday, who's who just kind of comparing it chalk and cheese to, to, to the old days when, when Tungman Park used to be full. Of course, the redevelopment changes things when you're naturally going to have more seats available and as a result, more empty seats for some of the, the smaller games. But but Leinster Munster should should be a sellout a week in advance. Yeah. At least. Uh, Porrick says, if Klopp never went to Liverpool, would we be talking about
0: how great the club was run? Klopp changed everything. He did change a lot, but their recruitment and their... Smart in the transfer market also helped. So it was a combination of factors. And the important thing is that the hierarchy picked him. When he was available, they went and got him. Um, so I'm looking here at the the contenders that the BBC listed the morning that Brendan Rogers was sacked. Uh, Klinsman, Mazzari, Frank de Boer, Carlo Ancelotti and Jurgen Klopp. But uh, it was clear from early that they wanted
4: they wanted one man and they went and got him because he was available wow imagine the alternative universe of any of those appointments Walter Mazzari was was on that list I, yeah inter,
0: inter manager at the time Yeah, former inter at that stage you had been I think that was like uh, probably these were the people that the bookmakers were trying to entice you to put some money on for the next manager because you know that's what, what um, uh, so yeah no, I'm just reading about it there. Yeah, like it. In fairness, the, the um, recruitment wasn't great <laughs> under under Ben Rodgers: Danny Ings, Firmino, and uh, Nathaniel Klein and Joe Gomez. I'd say,
4: on balance, it was getting better at that stage. Yeah. Like I, I think that that probably suggests that there was a turning at a corner before you. Wasn't, wasn't
0: Ings free? Was he? Was he free, or was he like next to nothing?
4: I, I can't remember. But but you did have the the title tilt under Rodgers as well, which definitely suggested that this was a team that was at least capable of going places. And there there was a good bedrock there before Klopp. No question about it, Klopp was the most important part of the whole piece and has taken them to a new level. And and those other managers there wouldn't have been able to do what what Klopp has done. But the club had seemingly got its act together. Like We went through some of Roy Hodgson's signings, I think the summer of 2012, last Friday on the show, and it was just just absolutely appalling. And like they, they managed to go from appalling recruitment to good recruitment I would say around Brendan Rodgers' time to outstanding recruitment right now like there has to be a little bit of a drop off you just can't predict the future so they're, they're going to get a few of those wrong but they're on a hot streak right now the people who are making those decisions Brendan Rodgers getting sacked
0: is of course the Thierry Henry hand on uh, Jamie Carragher's tie mm-hmm. meme that was
4: when that uh, came into existence so <laughs> this, was it the same hand? his right hand was it? yeah no, it was his left hand wasn't it? Both hands are famous.
0: We're going to be back uh, in just a moment's time. It's eight minutes past nine this morning. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio between now and seven o'clock this evening. OTB Gold is Declan Murphy, a jockey. Uh, his story of a serious brain injury. Leaders' questions at three o'clock with Stuart Lancaster. Four o'clock live, the Six Nations show ahead of the game this weekend. Brian O'Driscoll's in for that. Uh, OTB Gold is Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali in the show with Nathan and John Giles tonight from seven o'clock. Great report as always, lads. Says Kieran, brilliantly owned, covering the different backgrounds of the country and their GA traditions within the communities. Very interesting stuff. Indeed, and we'll have plenty more of that coming your way over the next while as well. Now, ahead of Ireland, taking on Sweden next Tuesday, Owen got the chance to catch up with Heather Payne. We'll be joined by Phil Egan to react to last night's football next as well.
9: O-T-B-A-M.
4: Uh, I just want to run something by you after the Finland game. You've been uh, asked about this before, the Nia Fahi quote, uh, half horse, half woman. How many times have you been reminded of that quote since the, the Finland game?
2: Um, yeah, it's definitely come up now in a few interviews. Um, of course, that's Nia Fahi. Uh, she's funny, um, but just a bit of humor <laughs> um i guess i don't even have any opinions on it i don't know i just i've just kind of gone along with it
4: it feels like the finland game is a really really important staging point in your career it felt like the night that people were like okay this is somebody who can really affect the game Is one of our best players it, is that something that you felt on the night was that like a really big confidence boost for you
2: um i think just the whole win and the whole game i think was just a big confident boost for the whole team i think um, when we got that second goal, and I think it was a real um, battle to the end, you know we were all probably exhausted as you could see um uh, from defending then uh, defending the two one lead so um I think personally yeah, I think um it kind of gave me confidence to go on if I saw what I could do in that game and it 's given me more confidence now for the upcoming games.
4: Because it was late in the game when he really started to affect it down that right flank in particular and obviously the assist for the goal what's that down to is that is that just pure fitness affecting a game late on or, or why did you come to fruition in the closing stages of that game in particular
2: um, I think yeah I think I've always had like a good fitness and good stamina so I think that obviously plays a part but I think it was also just the drive to keep going and to, you know, secure the win. And I think that opportunity came to me to keep going. And, you know, we were under pressure in our own box for a while. So then I think it was, you know, try run with the ball, try get as far up the field as I can and hopefully um, give the team like a, a breather. Um, But, yeah, I think it was just the whole game was such an adrenaline rush and I think at that moment I had such an adrenaline rush so I just had to keep going and, you know, like I said, give the team a breather.
8: Does that
4: actually make you forget completely about how exhausted you are if you have that adrenaline rush?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, um, of course, after probably making the run I probably felt exhausted but I think once you're on the ball and things are going well, I think you completely forget that, you know, you've been playing nearly 90 minutes and... um, I think, like I said, fitness and stamina also helps with that aspect.
4: Are you still uh, traveling over from the States?
2: Yeah, so I just arrived yesterday. I'm still traveling from Florida State. I'm in college now. Um, I'm there for another year.
4: Because Denise was saying that she's got the um, jet lag down to a tee, that she was up at 9 a.m. this morning, no bother to her. Are you, are you the same or do you, do you struggle with that a little bit? Um,
2: unfortunately, I'm not the same now. I've been there three years, so you think I'd have it down yet. But um, somehow I still... I'm infected. I don't sleep too well on the plane. I think that's the problem for me. Um, but I think I'm getting better and better. Um, unfortunately, I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning, but hopefully by a couple of days, I'll be fine again. It usually takes me two or three days, and then I'm raring to go.
4: What is the setup like at Florida State?
2: Um, it's good. It's We're number one college now in the States, and um, we have a great coach and great background staff, and we have such a diverse team that um, they come from all over the world, which I think... Makes a great setup and a great team. Um, yeah, so I think it's a really good setup. I'm so happy that where I am in Florida State, I think I couldn't be at a better college. Um, and of course, to get my education at the same time is also great.
4: How much of a decision was it for you to go there? Was it, was it a no brainer, or were you thinking to yourself, let's edge towards a professional contract sooner rather than later?
2: Um, so, yeah, at the moment I was in Bristol, or when I was making the decision, I was in Bristol, and um, I really wanted to get my education. Um, that was like one of my main focuses as well as playing at a high level so the decision was definitely it was kind of like a last minute decision if I'm being honest Um, uh, it took me a while to really think about things but in the end I think I made the right decision because like I said Florida State is number one over there so I'm getting my education at the same time as well as playing at a really high standard.
4: And what are you majoring in education wise?
2: Um, Dietetics so it's uh, nutrition and stuff like that I think once I finish, I hope to play professionally once I finish in college and then hopefully once I finish my professional career, um, I think I'd like to go into sports nutrition and be a sports dietitian.
0: All right. Pretty useful for uh, a career as a sports person as well. I had the pain in conversation with Owen a little bit earlier in the week and obviously we'll be bringing that game live between Sweden and the Republic of Ireland next Tuesday. It'll be live on OTB Sports Radio and uh, kick off half five, coverage starts around five. Now, Phil Egan is with us. Phil, good morning to you. How are you? More Morning, lads. Um You flagged it last night, uh, yesterday on the show, that the big game wasn't in the Champions League, although they were two pretty interesting results in, in and of themselves, but that
10: actually the relegation battle was where the hot, hot, hot football action was last night. You were correct. Uh, it's just, it's the tension of a, a relegation scrap, just so much on the line and Frank Lampard and Everton are in serious trouble. And I listened to Lampard before the game, talking about the pressure. And he said, you know, as a player, I relished the pressure, the big games. There was a difference, though, Frank. You were playing at the top end of the table with Chelsea, where you were you know, maybe going for a league title or you were in the, the latter stages of the Champions League. Relegation scraps are completely different. I think the person to listen to on this is someone like John O'Shea, who obviously won league titles and a Champions League at Manchester United, but he was involved in relegation scraps with Sunderland. And I remember he did an interview with us on Premier League Live after Sunderland had just stayed up with Big Sam and just talked about the relief going into the club the next day, looking at all the people around the club who you become so friendly with, knowing that because you've held on to your Premier League status, these people will be kept in the job. Whereas... You go to the Championship, obviously we've seen what's happened Sunderland since, they're down in League 1 now these people then, you know there has to be cutbacks because you you can't keep the same budget for a Championship club or for a League 1 club and it's just a horrible feeling and Everton are stuck in that right now that the thoughts of relegation could absolutely ruin Everton and watching the game last night, you know they were 2-1 up at half time, there was spells in the second half where they were on top and you thought yeah there's a the better team here but Sean Dyche hit the nail on the head when he was asked after the game, what did you say to your players at half-time? And he said, I don't think Everton know how to win a game, especially away from home. And they did everything but win that game last night. And not only did they not even get a draw, they transpired to lose a game that they shouldn't have lost. And that's become a habit for them now. And you're looking at their fixtures. I know one or, one or two wins can change everything. And we could be here in three weeks saying, yeah, fair play to Lampard, he steered them clear of of the relegation zone but right now, the pressure these players are under and they're playing Manchester United at half-twelve on Saturday we don't know what United are going to turn up I've always said if, if Everton are going to stay up, it's their home form the Everton fans obviously will be up for this, they're not going to turn on the team because they know the stakes are too high
4: Yeah, like I think if we're sitting here in a few weeks' time and saying fair play to Frank Lampard that would be extraordinary because, as you say, it's the standard of team that they have to beat. That Manchester United this weekend almost takes on like a very, very important feel to it because obviously you've got the uh, Merseyside derby in a couple of weeks, which is at Anfield, and Leicester and Chelsea in that mix as well, isn't it?
10: Yeah, two games against Leicester as well. It's yeah. just looking at the fixtures of the teams around them as well. There's there's a few teams that have, say, for example, Burnley have two games against Villa to come as well. I'm kind of looking from Leeds down. I think Leeds were disappointed with that result last night because, looking at the table now, Leeds are on 30 points, 31 games. You know, Burnley were on 21 points going into that game last night, so Leeds were eight points clear of the relegation zone. Now they're only six. But Leeds have Watford this weekend, which is a massive game. Watford have to play all the teams around them. Now, those games are at Vicarage Road where Watford can't win a game. But if Roy Hodgson can fix that, starting with this weekend... Then you know Watford still have to play Burnley and Everton. Um, they they do have a few tough games to go. They've got to City. they play played Chelsea in the final day as well. But Leeds would be starting. Chelsea to sweat. On the
0: final day could be easy. Like, it could uh, be that, yeah. Those those that final few round of games. Like if the league is already done or if say say man city are out of the league and in a champions league final and um you know they're resting players they're still resting like you know they're still playing world class players who are are playing but you can't pencil in automatic wins for the top teams against the bottom teams for the last 3 games of the year because other other priorities might happen yeah absolutely i mean like when villa when when jack grealish saved villa their fixture list looked horrific
10: yeah and and in the last
0: 5 games of the season because they, it mattered to them and it didn't matter to others
10: exactly yeah I mean there is the, the teams that are on the beach I mean it, it is a thing where teams are already thinking ahead and uh, and players are, are looking forward to their holidays now they don't have a major tournament to be thinking about in the, the same way that they would usually because obviously the World Cup doesn't start in November but,
4: but Clivesfield sorry to interrupt is there a team in recent memory that ha- has gone a longer period of time without the last few games mattering than Everton it feels like Everton are the one team the one constant throughout the entire Premier League era where they could be on the beach for the last five games because they've got nothing to play for they've never challenged for a title they maybe maybe if you talk about two thousand six direction when they're were thousand five when they were pushing for the Champions League spots they, they, they didn't battle for relegation. Granted, this is just the club's history, not the players' history. In the nineties, they were they were definitely relegation threatened, like famously last second. Okay, well that, that's a good. That's a long long yeah. time ago. Yeah. I, like I do not remember that. Like it's it's you could almost pin your hat on everything. Gar- Gareth barely saved them. Didn't he Gar- scored
10: in the, the of course? The, yeah, I'm, the, Bolton lost that day as well. Then the, the Barry Horn. everything the, the, are the team
4: you want to be playing late on in the season. Like I know it doesn't matter too much considering there's a massive turnover of players but Burnley as we saw last night are used to this they're used to the slog Villa used to fighting for stuff at the end of the season they got relegated had to come back up like are Everton ready for this are they, are they ready for the fact that the, the, these ma- matches all matter so so much to, to
10: the future of their club yeah and, and that is my, my concern for them that these players aren't used to a relegation scrap. I think, watching the game last night, if one player epitomised what it is to be in a relegation scrap, it was James Tarkovsky, a, a player that has actually been linked with Everton in the past. But just putting in blocks, there was one stage when Anthony Gordon went through in the second half and fired a shot that was looked like it had Pope in trouble, and Tarkovsky blocked it and went out for a corner. And he you know, he was immense and Nathan Collins was in beside him scoring his first goal in the Premier League what a time to do so but it was just the fact that Burnley scoring three goals Burnley don't score three goals many times in a game or in a season and Everton are just a shambles at the back and this was the concern when Lampard came in that the track record when he was at Derby when he was at Chelsea was Defensively, you were never fully convinced by them. and
0: Not, uh, Everybody kept making individual errors. You, and and think could never seem to fix or put a yeah. finger around why that happened.
10: And, you know, defending is a collective. That's because if you set a team up right, individual errors mightn't cost you because you have such a strong defensive unit that, you know, th- there's somebody else that knows that if somebody makes a mistake, I'll be there to, to pick up the slack. So... Say for example, Nathan Collins made a mistake last night, and his teammates got him out of it. You know, these things happen. Professional footballers make mistakes, but if your team is there for you to get you out of trouble, then you know that's always a good sign. But right now, Everton are conceding goals. Said, so I don't know. It, it's hard to know what United team turn up on Saturday. I mean, they are not necessarily out of the race for the top four, given what happened at Sellers Park. The, you know the door is still slightly open so does the fact that a new manager's name
0: has leaked out help in a way that like ooh now we know who we're trying to impress and I yeah, like there's a bit of certainty back
10: big time I mean you know they're, they're thinking right we're playing for our futures here now you know this United squad have shown in the last few seasons if anyone's going to let you down it's them but Everton it's just the tension that if Everton can cede first then the worry is can they turn it around and th- they need games where it stays nil all or they, they score first you think back to the Newcastle game where they, they stuck in there they got a player sent off and you feared the worst but they still dug it out but right now it's uh, it's it's looking pretty grim for Everton and I said what that could do to the club if they get relegated and if they lose the United at the weekend you start to think Will they pull the The plug on Lampard Is that what you would do? Well like they've lost Six of their last seven games So Would Duncan Ferguson Do any worse? But You know Are Everton thinking
4: What was his record When he was in, in charge Better than losing Six out of seven I suspect Well I mean, Look
10: you think back to the, the he, he took charge he's, he's had a few stints Four matches Two
0: draws One loss Four goals for One goal against
10: yeah they lost that game against Villa and you know it wasn't a great game. it was quite a, a tight game, but that's the way Everton have to approach games they They can't be conceding three goals they have to they can't be cavalier the way they were at times last night where you know they're going in search of of a third goal, but then they leave themselves open and it's just it's naive and you know said so the the teams that are are used to scrapping down at the bottom know how to grind out results and Burnley managed it, now we have to see if Watford can do it. If Watford can get their act together, then Everton are in even more trouble, because you just kind of feel that Burnley are up for this now. Like This is what Burnley have been doing. They they keep getting written off, and you kind of think eventually they're going to get caught. I did pick them at the start of the season. I I went Norwich, Watford, Burnley. As of now, I'm still going to... I'm sticking with that, but that can change in in the space of a game. It's
0: changing before your eyes at the moment.
10: Absolutely. Yeah, You're, it is. You know, Last it,
0: night was like a massive, massive moment in the whole thing and like, look, Everton um, being forced to re-examine who they are, what their identity is, what they mean. Is that new stadium beside the water as the sea level rises? Is that a good idea? I'm not sure. So uh, we'll see. Um, but... Yeah, like, look, he he picked an interesting team last night, and they let him down. Even with two penalties, even when the like everything yeah. is going their way.
10: That's it. and he, he did talk about it, um, you know, the the game last weekend and saying, you know, you just need to, you need a bit of luck after the West Ham game. He said, and th- there th- they got the the bit of luck with, that they needed, where they got the two penalties or two one up a half time against a team that are not very prolific and. They still managed to lose three two, so the, the the pressure is on. But I said I, I find the relegation scrap is so fascinating because, it, like, it is survival.
0: And good know, that they had Delhi Ali to call on last night as well in the moment of crisis. He's what you want in the trenches. If anyone's going to get them out of trouble, it's going to be Richarlison. Yeah, I think Richarlison played pretty well last night. And yeah. Again, I said earlier, I literally was watching the highlights, but everything good that they were doing,
10: and you yeah, know, a, a there was great chance, you know, to put them three one up and he had an overhead save as well but if yeah I think if they're going to stay up it's him um, yeah I'd be happy if, if he was a uh, Villa next season and
0: Everton were in the um, championship um, Villarreal's result last night where they beat Bayern Munich by a goal to nil probably not as um, heavily trumpeted just yet as it might be because it's the first leg and we've seen Bayern come from behind in situations like this before. They had a number of chances to make it two, to double their lead, to really put some massive doubt in in Bayern's mind. But then you look at the Bayern team and they're kind of
4: old. Yeah, Like, I mean, the the thing here is that Unai Emery is the kryptonite for for Bayern Munich. Dermot had this statistic that they'd gone uh, 25 away Champions League games, unbeaten, all the way back to September 2017 when they were beaten 3-0 by Paris Saint-Germain, managed by Unai Emery. So, I think this has been one of the definitely an element of of the narrative around him in the aftermath of last season when he he'd gotten into the Europa League glory that Arsenal had a good manager in their hands in Unai Emery and maybe the, the situation was such a basket case that didn't allow him to do so well. But the big thing from last night was the, the hallmarks of like sitting down watching Match of the Day and at around 11.20 you'd hear Dan Juma's name come on in the second last game of Match of the Day. Kind of like a Serge Canabry like graph. Not, yeah. not as dramatic, Phil, but kind of reminds me of it to sort of, oh yeah, I remember him playing in the Championship last season, playing well in the Championship yeah. and now beating Bayern Munich in the Champions
10: League. Yeah, and look at some of the players because the, the problem with some of the, the stories about football nowadays, if a player or a manager... Emery, let's be honest, people will say it didn't work at Arsenal, but if a player or a manager doesn't succeed in the Premier League, it's almost like they're written off. I saw an article yesterday, I'm not going to say who uh, published it, but it was in relation to Gonzalo Higuain, right? a guy that's won uh, league titles at Real Madrid, banged in goals for Napoli, and it was, do you know, the the headline for the article was Chelsea flop Gonzalo Higuain um about his future you know we, there's talk that he's going to retire at the end of the MLS season and I just thought like you know, this is a guy that you know has played in World Cup finals he's you know he's scored goals at the, at the highest level at club level and he, somebody, some people would actually view him as a Chelsea flop even though his career outside the Premier League was exceptional and you look at the team that Villarreal had last night Juan Foyth was playing you mentioned Dan uh, you know, obviously playing in the Championship, you had Etienne Capoue, you had Celso. you have guys like this that some of them would be considered as Premier League flops, and here they are, one win away from reaching the Champions League semi-finals and, and dumping out one of Europe's top clubs. Now, look, we'll see what happens in the second leg. Salzburg also should have beaten Bayern Munich in the first leg and then they they got got spanked yeah Yeah. now Villarreal are are better than Salzburg Um, they're they're well set
0: up I think that uh, there was definitely some early refereeing decisions that went Bayern's way in the second leg with a bunch of like
10: did they have two or three penalties in the first five minutes yeah Shelevanovski was um, scored a fairly early hat-trick so but Emery is a good manager and just because it didn't work out for him at Arsenal doesn't mean he's an Arsenal flop forever that's it. I, and that's the thing, like. But
4: good evening. We'll never, like, I mean, yeah. pe- people like started picking up on the the accent because he wasn't good at managing. Whereas that would have become and an endearing yeah. uh, f- feature. Whereas was he good at football management in that period of time?
10: There, there was moments. You think of the the time they beat Spurs and the the derby, and they were really on it that day. And people thought, "Yeah, this guy's going to turn it around." But you see how quickly things can go, and then people start questioning. It. So we've just been talking about Everton and we Are we going to see the same when Ten Hag takes over at Manchester United? Where if things don't start well, then you start seeing the leaks or the, the so-called leaks. Where Manchester United players question some of the, the training methods of Eric Ten Hag. Mm. It's, that's just unfortunately the way management goes. Whereas we know Ten Hag is a really good coach. But sometimes it's not that simple that good coach goes into club, makes them better. Because you have to look at the structures around them.
0: That was the comparison with Klopp a little bit earlier on. Somebody saying Liverpool got a bit lucky when they got Klopp. But actually, like, just doing a quick bit of reading earlier on, in the aftermath of that um, tweet, they had searched out and hunted Klopp down. He was. Um, they had arranged this um, meeting in New York with him where Klopp had gone with a dossier and said, this is how I'm going to transform the club and all your relationships for it, uh, with the media and so, well, with everybody. It was basically like a the the next step on from... Brandon Rogers, But the thing about it was, was that the owners of that club were fully invested in making Liverpool as successful as possible. And their blueprint for it was a blueprint that was based on what they did with the Red Sox, which was um, fixing the stadium, leaning into the history of the club, making sure that the best people were in charge of recruitment and um, training slash coaching. And that's a model that works. What is the Manchester United Glazers model like? They've been successful in
4: Tampa because they got Tom Brady. It seems slightly similar to their strategy at the end of yeah. last season in the transfer window.
10: Yeah, absolutely. Like the you know, the this the shiny signing in in a transfer window which gets people excited, whereas often those less spectacular signings are the ones that work out. And like you think of when Klopp took over Liverpool, you look at the squad that he inherited, but there was plenty of Slip-ups along the way, where you know I can remember them losing two 0 away to Hull, and people were going, "Is this guy really going to be able to turn around a Liverpool?" But Klopp had the the history of of work at Dortmund to be able to say, "You know, trust me." And he said in his first press press conference, said, "Maybe in four years we're talking about winning titles," and mm. lo and behold, four years later they're champions of Europe. So it, it does take time, but. Unfortunately, with Manchester United, the managers are not getting time. And one thing that doesn't help as well is the outside noise of players, past players, where they think they know best, whereas they don't necessarily know best. But they're, they're um, you know, because they're big names, they're always going to get plenty of of clicks and hits, and people want to hear what they say. And Manchester United being such a, a global club and a huge club will always have interest even if they were down at the bottom end of the Premier League people would still be talking about them so it's it's a really tough job that Eric Ten Hag has ahead of him. I think he's
0: probably the best candidate from that list available at the
4: moment When you're saying that that Poch isn't available basically.
0: Well Poch is available I, I, I actually think that Ten Hag is a better bet than Pochettino in that like things had gone stale at Spurs, and they fluked their way to the Champions League final. And like the job at PSG has been grand. He's not a he. He hasn't reached the level of those managers who were on that carousel where he is super successful, and he's won leagues everywhere he's gone. Like for all my slagging
4: off Carlo Ancelotti, the guy was successful. Like everywhere he went. Yeah, like, you could say there was a, a Ten Hag versus Poch. Showdown in 2019, and uh, who fluked it out on that? And do you want to? put a, point a to vastly, to vastly higher wage bill
0: than uh, he had at Spurs than they had at um,
4: Ajax. Like you'd, you'd have to say that, like Ajax getting to the semi-final of the Champions League is on a par with Spurs getting to the final of the Champions League that season. Uh, certainly from, from I would say it
10: was ahead of it. To be yeah. honest, I mean if you look at the budgets and and the way Ajax played, and I think as well. What you look for when a new manager comes in is you want to be able to look at the way the team play and know exactly what they're about. And what always helps, you've seen this with Conte coming in at Spurs, when you get like the, a signature win where you see, yeah, that can happen more often down the line. So you think of what Spurs did away to City. That was classic Conte. And it, might, it, it, it mightn't happen next season, at City, but it could happen in big games, like say for example they go to Anfield this season and they do something similar where you think, right, if he does this more often then we become more successful. And
0: do you know what? There was actually the, the bones of something like that emerging, which was a counterattacking style under Solskjaer, but then they ended up signing um like the the if you if you think back, the signing Ronaldo completely derailed any sense of what identity was beginning to emerge under Solskjaer and um that was the end of that. It, it could not survive that because he wanted to be a, a counter-attacking team that hit you on the break and it worked relatively well for him in big games over recent seasons and he had, I don't know, it was he was always faded to fail because he wasn't good enough. But
10: uh, Yeah, well, it, it was amazing that you had Solskjaer and this counter-attacking team and you thought there's a few missing parts. You need a centre midfielder. Then Sancho was coming in and you thought, yeah, they need another centre half. So they got Ferran. They didn't get the, the central midfielder that they need. They got Sancho, but then obviously when Ronaldo was signed, it changed everything. You think back to the first weekend of the season. I know United have, like, a, Leeds do concede goals, but they absolutely tore them apart in the break. And it was the classic way United were successful in their Solskjaer where they sat in and just broke a pace. And Bruno Fernandes and Pogba were exceptional that day. And there was a real good buzz about it. Varane was obviously unveiled that day, and it was like, yeah, this is, you know, maybe. And then Ronaldo signed, and it was like, oh, this is good. This is getting even better. But as it transpired, Ronaldo, yeah, his numbers might look all right, but it's inhibited the way the team has tried to move forward. And, and obviously Solskjaer paid the price for that, and it's been really bad but look at how bad it's been for United this season and they're still not that far off top four so that's one of the positives if you're a United fan you would say it really doesn't take that much to get back on track
0: there's always a couple of clubs who are having a terrible season and so therefore you should be able to qualify and actually they're going to qualify for the Champions League automatically from now on anyway when the new rules get in so like it's a good time to be uh, becoming the Manchester United manager expectations are low like they won't be in next season but they will be in the season after that for and forever more because they're one of the biggest clubs right we gotta go 9.37 this morning Phil thanks very much for that a reminder OTBAM is live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day um, uh, we have a very busy programme for you tomorrow is there a quiz I don't know
4: there's a special quiz tomorrow it is Nathan Murphy versus John Duggan versus Joe Malloy and oh. a tradition as old as time is there a green jacket we, we should get a green jacket can we get one of those sorted before tomorrow sure, I, like yeah. I'm saying that as if anybody other than myself will have to organise that <laughs> <laughs> so there will be no green jacket tomorrow
0: there will be a metaphorical green jacket yes. uh, so obviously talking the Masters Ron O'Gara is going to join us quite a week for uh, Raj not much going on for us to uh, to chat to him about not the England job not the not the fine for stuff that happened like a couple of weeks ago and then potentially the fallout from what happened last week and then the fact that they're uh, playing the same team again so I'm looking forward to that OTB